Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path Ventures After Party number two. We made it two whole times. Two whole after parties now. Uh, I am your host, Rick Sandich. I am joined by my co-host, Jordan Jenkins. What's up? And also special guest, Paizo's creative director, Luis Loza. Hello. Thanks for having me uh, well, thank in you for- what is our fifth annual post-PaizoCon meetup. It is true. It is Have a we really tradition. Been doing this for now. five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think I think Luis told me before that we were the first people to ever interview him for a as a Paizo person. Uh-huh. I think. Yep. That was uh, that was when we did that in like the squeezed away in a back hallway at the uh, the Double Tree up in uh, Seattle after. Oh <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, yeah. One of the. And I think it was literally like we we had grabbed one of our mics we used for the podcast and like. Yeah. The recorder, and then like I think I don't even know if we had a camera at that point. If we, that we was, did. That, was that yeah, the one that, where we had we had Dean's camera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean was there with us. Um, was our was our cameraman for that excursion? And then it's been kind of a thing. We had some issues with the audio uh, equipment last year, but yeah, welcome back, uh, Luis. It's been a it's been an unfortunate amount of time since we've yes. had uh, the opportunity to sit down and chat with you about all things Pathfinder. Happy to be here. Love talking Pathfinder. It turns out. <laughs> Turns out you're pretty good at it, considering uh, that you did recently get a, a promotion. Uh, well, I guess relatively recently to creative director. And uh, yes. since I was chastised for asking you about what a creative director does before we got on, what does a creator creative director do, Luis? I'm very interested. Well, that's uh, something I've been figuring out myself a little bit over the past six months, because uh, this is the first time that Paizo has had two creative directors working on Pathfinder. Uh, I'm sure you all know James Jacobs. He Mm -hmm. remains creative director, but now things have split uh, up on on the Pathfinder side of things. We've broken up into two separate teams, one that's running adventures and all the adventure-related content that's our narrative side. And then the rule books and Lost Omen stuff is the rules and lore side. We didn't find Mm. a fancy one-word catch-all for all that, unfortunately. So if you know one, by the way, let us know. Um, But I'll think uh, about it. We'll we'll open source that. Anyone that wants to throw one in the chat. I'm going to go for the, uh, the roar. Roar. Rules and lore. <laughs> <laughs> the lore. The the creative director for narrative is James Jacobs. I'm creative director mm-hmm. for rules and lore. Uh, and we work together. But basically, I'm in charge of anything that is static, as it were, uh, within the setting. Anything that won't be actively played by players or touched upon by players. Oh, okay. uh, and rules-related stuff. So the very simplest example I have is one day someone asked me, well, we have artwork where minotaurs have pointy ears, and we, or sorry, centaurs have pointy ears, and different artwork where they have rounded ears. Sometimes they have pointy ears, sometimes they have rounded ears. We need you to just land on one, which is it going to be, right? And I get to make decisions like that. <laughs> I get to offer insight on. It's going mad with power. <laughs> a variety of things of the, of the setting. I think very recently we were discussing uh, the the remaster rules and uh, the the ancestries that are going in there. You know, we're adding orc, we're adding lushy. Lushy uh, are lushies are are uncommon in their original source in Lost Omens character guide. And now that they're in core rulebook, we went back and forth. Hey, should these be common or uncommon now? And mm-hmm. I just chimed in. I think they should be common, offering my suggestions. And there, there's a lot of that. I, I've been in meetings with 
James Jacobs uh, together. He and I are making decisions on, on things and uh, making calls uh, on certain stuff. There's been you know, branding related stuff. The the recent Kickstarter for the Abomination Vaults video game. You know, we had to mm-hmm. approve stuff for that. And, I and others, that. I'm so excited. Yeah, other, other things <laughs> like that. So it's just a matter of, of having a clear vision on where the the setting should go, uh, mm-hmm. what rules should be supplementing the setting, or, or what setting material would you know, be attached to upcoming rules that we want to do. And and also, I guess, figuring out what all these new dragons are going to be, specifically. I, I've been <laughs> tasked with doing all James of that. Jacobs, what are they you walk in here? your first day and he's like, okay, here's the three things I need you to do. Figure out dragons. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a, a shorter notice with the, the whole remaster thing, the, the new dragon stuff. But anyway, yes, uh, yeah. a, a lot of just deciding on things, working with the teams, uh, making kind of top level calls on certain stuff. And then also sharing what we're doing on our side with the narrative team, asking narrative, hey, do you need anything? Or, hey, we'd like to do X. Can you do set up a thing? Like if I were to, you know, if back in the day, if we wanted a, a something if we wanted to close up the world wound if i i had wanted that as a creative director i would have been like can we do an adventure where we close the world wound so we can set up this thing for the the lore and the mm-hmm. setting and i would have worked with the narrative aside to have the wrath of the righteous ap happen to make sure that things end up where we want them at a certain okay. point and vice versa you know if they need certain rules for their adventures or if they need us to set up a thing we can create a lost omens book that lays the groundwork for something and that then they can tell a story with in a particular adventure Okay. Well, that clarifies that a great deal more than yeah. uh, that. It is both uh, narrower and wider in scope than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's technically an oxymoron, but uh, I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> well, so thank you, of course, for taking time out of your uh, your busy uh, schedule, despite the fact mm-hmm. that this is also your day off. So thank you for coming in uh, oh, on it's what fine. I imagine is your day off. And of course, I think we just mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that uh, this is, of course, uh, being recorded live uh this is uh on june 3rd so saturday following PaizoCon. which uh, means so it's rick's birthday it, it is also Ow. my birthday happy birthday well thank you i appreciate that but more importantly it's the week following PaizoCon. if rachel were here <laughs> yeah yeah she, she'd sling something at me she would definitely sling something at you but yeah so we just uh had PaizoCon uh 2023 mm-hmm. uh, just last week which uh it was fun, a whole bunch of streams. There was a lot of questions posed there, and uh, I'm going to be continuing to pose a number of those questions <laughs> to you here. Uh, however, we, of course, do have a live audience since we do the, do this on Twitch every Saturday, the first Saturday of every month. I always want to say every Saturday, which is not the case. The first Saturday of every month at 11 a.m. Central. Uh, Patreon which means stretch goal, we, we'll do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very high Patreon stretch yeah, goal. Well, hey, um, but at this I point, we're the in the millions somewhere. probably with all the promises you made over the years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once we're in the millions, that will definitely be uh, one of the things we'll do monthly. However, we do, of course, have a Q&A at the end of this. So if you are here with us live uh, and you have some questions for Luis, now is a great time to, uh, you can either throw those in the chat now, or of course, uh, we're just going to be handing it over to a Q&A at the end. So if you have uh, any questions, maybe you can uh, maybe find a sly way to get Luis to release some spoilers. I try routinely and uh, the man is uh, the man is a sphinx. I have a lot of practice with, with you at this point. <laughs> I guess like five years of dealing with you. Sure. I need to bring in somebody else to switch hitter to throw some uh, curveballs. That analogy didn't work at all. So yeah, PaizoCon 2023 just finished. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of news pertaining towards uh, Pathfinder and Starfinder. Of course, the thing on everyone's list right now, uh, which you touched on very briefly, was is the Pathfinder Remaster Project. Yeah. Which I think is the, uh, the biggest news kind of coming out of... Uh, 
you know, of course, I suppose giving a little background uh, for everyone here, uh, those that don't necessarily follow the industry quite as much, there was a uh, debacle at the beginning of this year pertaining towards the uh, the OGL and the open game license. And uh, Paizo's decided to uh, I'll use the, I'll just go back to the baseball analogy and step up to the plate, as it were, as they are uh, putting out their own, the ORC. Actually, out of curiosity, uh, around the office, do you guys say ORC or Orc? We just call it Orc. Orc. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Oh, we do have a we have a do a <laughs> special guest. It here. would not be a find the path live <laughs> event if we didn't have at least one cat. So that's true. I'm sure there's some more skittering around somewhere around. Yeah, here. we call it Orc. But my brain every time I type it out because people have asked me about it through email and stuff, and I, I specifically mm-hmm. go out of my way to call it ORC license because for some reason my brain can call it Orc verbally but cannot like Can't commit to that in, <laughs> in text. Yes, and something that will be written down forever. But yes, yeah, so the uh, the orc, which is the um, sorry, the acronym for that again is uh, open open role playing creative license. I think creative license. All right, I will Luis double check that. Says, Luis immediately goes to his computer to confirm that. We do very much appreciate Luis getting on at nine a.m. his time on his day off. So I, I do say, not yeah, blame we're, him we're two hours little... ahead of him, and nice and chipper <laughs> had a nice you know. Uh, breakfast time to digest and Luis like you know just had to get on first thing <laughs> yeah open rpg creative license yes awesome so of course with uh with the orc coming out uh, which is going to further separate uh paizo's publishing uh various books from the mm-hmm. um right now after everything that happened with the uh the early year debacle from what i understand paizo is more or less just crossing their t's dotting their i's making certain that they're separating themselves enough so that if something like happened earlier this year happens again um that you're completely insulated from it and also yeah. providing a uh, a legal framework for other people to use to be completely insulated as well yeah that's is exactly so yeah that eventually brings us to the uh, pathfinder remaster project which are going to be the four new hardcover books mm-hmm. uh that are basically a kind of a refresh of uh, pathfinder second edition um, I've heard it stressed very much that it is not a new edition, and from everything that I can see on it, it doesn't look like a new. It doesn't even look like it's going to be as much of a jump as 3.0 to 3.5 was for Dungeons and Dragons. Definitely not. Uh, I think a lot of people have been equating it for, instead of a 2.5, it's a 2.1. It's just like a small step. Uh, just a I, small incremental change. I, I think if you're into video games, the video game vernacular is between like. One generation of console and another one in which someone updates the graphics to HD, but that's the only <laughs> thing that changes, right? How many re-releases of The Last of Us have we got? Four? Yeah. I, think. I mean, if you count the PC version as a separate edition. <laughs> it's worth it. That game is a masterpiece. I, I own three <laughs> it copies of it. It is very good. Yes. But yeah, so it's more or less just kind of a, I know a large part of it is a name changes or moving away from certain names or anything else that could be considered, you know, copyrightable material, which has already been something Paizo has been doing for a while. A lot of it, we we built the game using the OGL and grabbing content from the SRD, the the D&D SRD, uh, a lot of scrap owlbears and stuff. And because we're switching to Orc, we can't use the stuff that OGL normally lets us because Orc does not have the same rights that OGL gives us. So it's just a matter of what can we keep, what can't we keep, right? So a lot of these things that were classics is just, we, we literally can't keep them, that we have no choice, so we have to drop them. Yeah. And then there's a few cases where it's like, do we really want some of this stuff around or do we want to go our own way? But yeah, it's just, oh, since OGL isn't here, we can't use a lot of the OGL stuff. Whether yeah. or not we wanted to, it's just <laughs> legally, that's just, you're not allowed. 
And I imagine it'll take some growing pains for some people. I remember when mm-hmm. um, I first made the transition from the Pathfinder or from Dungeons and Dragons to Pathfinder uh, way back in the day, way, way back in the day with the Pathfinder beta test. Mm. And there weren't, you know, a bunch of my staples because I did a lot of, you know, I was, I'm a big Dritz fan um, yeah. or Dritz or however you want to pronounce it. And so like I did a bunch of Underdark slash Darklands sort of things. Uh, so when I lost... Mind Flayers and Umber Hulks and all the rest of these creatures that were kind of my, these are my staple go-tos. And then eventually filled them in with other things, uh, which Paizo has always been very good at just going, well, there's a void here. So now that void is filled by this monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine that there's going to be a lot of that going forward uh, as well. So maybe some name changes. And uh, I think something that has been, uh, I think, a little blown out of proportion is people saying that this is uh, a lot of the changes are you know, these momentous, huge changes, um, the drow immediately come to mind um, as something that people have been very much freaking out over. But of course, my understanding is that the actual mechanics of the monsters from the best theories put out for Pathfinder are not changing, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which means you can still just have drow, they just won't be published in Adventure. Correct. Uh, Eleanor Farron, uh, their developer working on the Lost Omens line, has been kind Mm -hmm. of spearheading the, the Monster Core update while some of the other team works on the the player core and uh, game master core rule books. But a lot of what she's done is copied and pasted a stat block. We have a little macro that goes through and finds any spells that were OGL spells that we've already renamed. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this says Magic Missile. Got the, the macro just highlights it, renames it to Force Barrage, and then it keeps going on. And then little find deletes, replace, yeah. And deletes the, the two letters for the alignment. And wouldn't you know it, that monster's done in a lot of cases, right? Like none of the stats change, <laughs> nothing else yeah. has changed. Just what what things is it pointing at that are referencing spells or maybe a little different uh, different name? Or you know, instead of calling all the dragons, you know, fire breaths and stuff, calling it a breath weapon, we just change the name to be something a little more interesting, right? Because breath okay. weapon is it's not necessarily a weapon; it's more of a, a thing it does. So <laughs> you know, just tweaking the the language to be a little more accurate or, or just to match uh, some of the changes in the remaster, right? Flat-footed. Nope, now that says off-guard. But then the rest of the monster works exactly the same. Nice. Yeah, so I, I do imagine it's just a lot of... Uh, it will take time. Mm-hmm. I remember we had a conversation about it when uh, we were watching some of the PaizoCon coverage and everything else being announced for it. It's like, it will probably take me years to stop saying Magic Missile. Oh, 100%. Sure. <laughs> I, I remember when we when I first started playing with Rick, and keep in mind, he's already been playing like Pathfinder for years. He was still confusing rules with 3.5 and being like, oh, no, that's how that works in 3.5. Yeah. Uh, oops. <laughs> Not perfect. I try. Well, let's go ahead, uh, drill down on a couple of these books, if you don't mind. Uh, for sure. So the, the Pathfinder Player Core and the Pathfinder GM Core are both coming out in November. Yes. The Pathfinder player core um, is basically supposed to be like they're kind of splitting it, you know, into uh, taking the giant core rule book and cutting it down the center and just going from what I understand. Uh, this is player content. This is game master content, player content, game master content. So the I know the Pathfinder player core lists uh, the six core rule book ancestries mm-hmm. uh, plus the Leshian orc. Yep. So uh, there'll be basically the eight core ancestries there. Uh, and then also additional, like, the various heritages. Um, like, I think, uh, technically, I think half-elf and uh, half-orc are becoming uh, versatile heritages, or at the very least are available to other ancestries than human now. 
Yeah. They, they, they're they're going to be in the book as well. And we, we talk about, it, it also features a little bit about, hey, if you want to make half versatile heritages for the other ancestries, here's a little bit of guidance on it. There's not enough space to actually put those out quite yet in the, the, the rule book uh, because they would need their own feet support and little mm-hmm. you know, new heritage stuff. But it says, here's how you can do that. Here's a framework for, for following that. Have fun if you want to uh, go through with that. But yeah, it, it's definitely putting the foot in the door to, to let that happen in the future. Nice. And then also in there is the, uh, the changeling. Um, uh, the I always want to say Niflheim because I played Final <laughs> Fantasy VII when I was so young and I'm always like Niflheim. Uh, 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 Nephilim. Nef- Nephilim. Nephilim. Yeah. <laughs> For those curious how to pronounce that, Nephilim. <laughs> Nephilim, um, which are basically going to be the the fiendish and celestial heritages. Um, mm-hmm. So what was previously referred to as uh, Asimars and uh, Tieflings. Or Tieflings, depending on or how tieflings. you say it. <laughs> depending on who first said the word around you and then it stuck forever since Oh, yeah, no, because it was, it was, it was uh, Tiefling, I think, for the first six or seven years we started playing. I think it was only when we started the podcast that... Somebody said, "No, it's it's tiefling." Well, Ross, Ross has always said tiefling. I've he always has. said tiefling. Um, I always of, did tiefling as well because the first person that ever told it to me is like, "This is a tiefling." I'm like, "Okay, that's what the word is." Sure. To be fair, I'm, I mispronounce a lot of places because I've first heard them not reading them, but by Rick saying them. So, like, yeah. I know, like James Jacobs said, it's Verisia, <laughs> and I, it's Verisia because that's that's how Rick pronounced it, and I just assume that's how it's spelled. And it wasn't until I like started reading some of those books and went. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. There is an eye in there. <laughs> so I guess out of curiosity, first off, uh, with the the Leshy, the Orc, I think you touched on that briefly before, uh, the Changeling, the uh, the Nephilim, are all those going to be common ancestry options now? Uh, the ancestries, yes. So Orc and Leshy are getting promoted to common ancestries. That's already kind of how they worked in Pathfinder Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to organized play, those are always available. You can play an orc or a leshy or a kobold uh, at any point without needing to buy them out the way you would a, an uncommon ancestry. Uh, so yeah, they're in player core one. They're getting uh, the common upgrade. I believe, and I could check right now, I could literally open it, that <laughs> changeling and nephilim are uncommon because versatile heritages typically are uncommon, save for the half-orc and, and half-elf ones. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> Someone's insistent. <laughs> okay, so and, and I think that's an interesting angle to take just because it does provide an example, um, even for new players, of like, here's actually how the common and common uh, rules work beyond yeah, just... Exactly. I mean, really, in the, the core rulebook, it's basically the spells most of the time and magic items and things like that where you run into the common and common restrictions. <laughs> And also, of course, there are the uh, the classes in there, which instead of having the uh, core, I guess, core 12 from yeah. the uh, second edition core rulebook, it's uh, eight. The uh, yeah. the bard, the cleric, druid fighter, ranger, rogue, witch, and wizard. Yeah, half of the core 16, I guess, as it were now. Yes. So just out of curiosity, like, what was the, um, I guess, why these eight? I see the big four in there. Yeah. Uh, part of it is um, the core four, you know cleric fighter rogue wizard um but also we want to make sure we cover every tradition of magic first and foremost so that's why bard mm-hmm. and druid are there so that covers primal and occult magic so there's an example for all of them ranger is there because that's a different uh, marshal uh and which is just kind of an interesting i'm not going to say which is our answer to dnd's warlock but in terms of the flavor of what you're getting you know you're you're a spellcaster that 
is tied to a patron. Uh, there's a lot of similarities there. And it just gives a, an extra example of each of the traditions because the witch can cover all four traditions uh, of magic as well. Uh, and then some of the other classes, barbarian, champion, for example, are not necessarily more complex, but they are things we haven't sorted out how they work yet. Uh, uh, barbarian, uh, for example, has a dragon instinct uh, for for one of their possible instincts. And we hadn't sorted out dragons quite yet because we needed to have the monster core done first. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to give ourselves the time to do that without having to shoot for a target that we don't know where it is and also it's moving. Uh, and <laughs> putting that to player core too yeah. helps out. Same with Sorcerer. Sorcerer has a draconic bloodline. And it's just kind of a nice mix of, of old and new uh, there. Mostly older stuff, but you know, the, the witch is there. Just kind of by chance, I, I think Logan, Logan Bonner, who's our, our lead designer, uh, kind of landed on that working as, as a good mix. I don't know. I, I think that having Faya as an iconic around is just kind of fun. It just gives us uh, a, a unique visual also to work with. Uh, oh, yeah. For, for our cover, for example, who she's on there too. Um, yeah, a number of like a lot of little things that just kind of added up. This seems to feel like a good mix of things. I, I'm sure vibes actually played into <laughs> some of that decision making. Yeah. Like, I don't know, this feels like a good mix. So, so it wasn't purely complexity based because that that was like I no. think some of the, the initial theories were like, oh, well, the more complex stuff is in player core two. No, I don't. I don't think that's the case because when I think about it, I don't feel that like barbarian or monk are particularly more complex than a fighter. There's like mm -hmm. one extra layer of things, but compare a monk to a wizard and the wizard is so much more complicated overall. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. uh, I think there was a, a realization that advanced player's guide wasn't the most accurate title in, cause it suggests that you have to be kind of an advanced player to read this. And mm -hmm. I think splitting it into player core one and player core, core two is, it does a bit better on and explaining what's happening. It's just, this is the other set of things, not you have to be good at this game or understand this game to come figure out how to play a witch or a swashbuckler uh, or whatever. It just happened to be that those are the set of second classes that came out and we had the advanced players guide name from first edition. So doing that player core one player core two thing, I think it, it, it will sell things a little, uh, better for for people and there I, i've already seen people online saying like oh it would be interesting to run a player core two only campaign where you can't grab any of the pc one classes yeah uh to yeah it's just it happens to be a mix it's it's our red and blue of pokemon basically in terms <laughs> of classes you just happen to get a different variety of what you're getting well and i'm personally a firm believer that um restriction breeds creativity mm -hmm. absolutely that by just doing something like, you know, I'm only allowing player core one or only allowing player core two, then you're suddenly, you know, looking at uh, just looking at player core two where it's, you know, listed ancestries are cat folk, knoll, hobgoblin, kobold, lizard folk, rat folk, and tengu, mm -hmm. which are an interesting mix. And if you're going, well, you have to play one of those ancestries and then you have uh, your alchemist, barbarian, champion, investigator, monk, oracle, sorcerer, and swashbuckler. Um, very interested in the, uh, yeah, kobold swashbuckler. But you get these uh, more interesting characters when you basically provide people with a limited, like, this is what you can and can't play. Uh, out of curiosity, are the ancestries in Player's Core 2, are they going to be common as well, or are they going to be uncommon? I know I'm asking yeah, you about a book that's a year out. So. Say, we haven't fully decided on that yet. Okay. Um, I feel that they're probably going to remain uncommon, but we'll have to wait and see. Because if you would have asked me 
before this happened and we said, you know, hey, we're putting Orc unless she's in the, in the first rule books. Like, oh, okay, well, those are probably going to be uncommon, right? Because that's yeah. what they were originally, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to commit to that anymore. Well, uh, you so, already mentioned that uh, kobolds are allowed for Pathfinder Society play, yeah, so we'd be the surprised other thing if kobolds are going to be common. Kobolds, uh, but maybe some of the sense, other ones aren't. Yeah, kobolds in a sense are already common depending on how you play the game. So, like, should they be common in Player Core 2? Well, we'll see once we get done with Monster Core and then go to Player Core and, and take a look at that. Well, let's uh, well, let's touch on uh, Monster Core then, mm-hmm. uh, since we kind of naturally transitioned there. Uh, I do want to mention that the um, you know the Pathfinder Core, like I said uh, at the top, is uh, in November, and then the Pathfinder Core Two isn't until July of next year. Yeah, and um, Monster so, Core is hitting March, I think. Yes. So yeah, the I'm very interested in the Monster Core Two. I'm uh, sorry, the Monster as a Core Game Master <laughs> Two T O O. As a Game Master, especially. I'm just kind of curious exactly what all is going to be going into it. Um, I noticed that it's supposed to be about 50 pages larger than most of the best areas usually are, that there's supposed to be like guidelines mentioned basically to help game masters that are new to the game understand the stat blocks, go through it, and all the rest of that, uh, which was included in the original best theory as well. So what is the focus of the uh, the monsters in this book? Is it the most commonly used or is it the these are the ones that need the biggest changes because of the remaster project it's more the former it's more just what is the most useful across the board for players and game masters right uh, to use at their table but also for ourselves we've been asking the narrative team hey what what uh monsters do you need us to keep around or at least have an equivalent monster right owlbear's going to be gone but what's another monster that fills that same level four slot that you could find out in the forest and yeah. uh, absolutely wreck level one players with or, an owl cat, as it were. <laughs> Perhaps an owl cat. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm always a fan of more cats and things. So, <laughs> uh, Or we um, have been looking at kind of the greatest hits among bestiaries uh, from second edition. Uh, we, hey, excuse me, <laughs> stringing of monsters. <laughs> um, yep. we, we have slots that need to be filled in, whether they were once monsters or we just like... We put in a monster in the first bestiary. No one seems to care if it goes away. People won't mind that much. Uh, at least internally, we, we realize, oh, some of these monsters just didn't take Don't off the way we, play. Yeah. we would hope. Um, or aren't as useful or things like that. You know, if, if there's a monster that only exists in specific pockets between the plane of earth and plane of fire or whatever that's very niche to the point where like it probably hasn't showed up in an adventure at all i mean i i love my magma elementals don't get me wrong yeah <laughs> we recently but, you know finished uh mummy's mask which was all elementals all the time <laughs> yeah uh it just you know if we haven't been using it or just mm-hmm. it, there are some people who just like actively don't like cer- certain monsters and that's you know personal preference and stuff but you know we have those slots maybe we can bring a thing from bestiary two or bestiary three to fill those in there are some that are particularly popular in later bestiaries that we can bring in if it were up to me we'd have brought in the animated trebuchet right into <laughs> monster core uh so you can fling players right away but there's a lot of that just kind of mixing and matching finding what what works um but you can basically think of it as what was in bestiary one there's a good chance it'll stick around for monster core because bestiary one was just that kind of broad general use uh monster book for for pathfinder yeah that makes a lot of sense. And um, I know that you're that Paizo as a whole is taking this as an opportunity to kind of like go back and look at what works, um, mm-hmm. you know, make changes. You know, Pathfinder 2 has been out for, uh, what, four years now. Yeah. So gives you plenty of opportunity to take in all the feedback. 
famously recently, small side tangent anecdote, we are right now left off in the middle on our Hell's Rebels playthrough. Mm -hmm. uh, we are right now have left off in the middle of an encounter with a bearded devil, uh, which I was unaware until I started running it and then getting a lot of the feedback from the uh, the listener base that uh, somewhat notorious for being extraordinarily challenging for its challenge rating. You don't say, <laughs> I say as a player who had to live through that encounter. So uh, is that is that kind of one of the things that you're planning on doing with this as well as looking at a couple of those um, uh, little beasties there and trying to uh, rebalance the ones that need to be rebalanced? Yeah, there, there have definitely been a few that have been called out. They're like, well aware that oh this isn't working as intended or uh is you know just very difficult or or whatever the case might be i mean just last night we were talking about how we need to tweak escaping from things right because we realized that our wording was written out in such a way when we first printed these books that like oh no that actually doesn't fit what we need for for the game and how we understand it nowadays right there was it's not necessarily the wild west was for for the game uh, when it was first being put together, but there are definitely things that we understand better and realize that, oh, this flows better or works better in a particular way so we can tweak language on specific abilities and stuff at, while we are while we happen to have, you know, the book open and, and ready to, to work on. I mean, I think it's also a good chance to, like, pull in the errata that, you know, mm -hmm. has come out and, like, some of the clarifications in the forum posts and things because, like, Rick has the ability to somehow keep all of that in his head, but, like, if you just <laughs> bought, you know, the the PF2E core rule book on day one and you never looked at any forum posts or errata or anything like that, you know, you're pro you're playing a slightly different game than like, you know, somebody like who has a game master like Rick who keeps up with all the, the rules, clarifications and everything. Yeah, yeah. I try my best. I uh, don't always succeed, but I try. So speaking of GMs, uh, we did kind of breeze over the uh, GM core, mm -hmm. uh, which will also be coming out in November. Um, I know that that's probably just going to be a lot of the uh, kind of the collection of the rules. Uh, I believe that they're moving the magic items from, um, you know, had to go somewhere. And so I believe yeah. those are ending up in the uh, the Pathfinder GM core. Yeah, the majority of the magic items are there. There are a small selection of magic items that are going to be in player core. Your plus ones for your weapons and armor and stuff. A lot of the really like fundamentals. Probably. And, yeah. yeah, healing potions and stuff. A lot of those little obvious player basics are going to be there in the player core book, but everything else, you know, will be in uh, the, the GM core. So think of GM core of grabbing the GM, chap the GM chapters from the, core rule book squeezing those into the game mastery guide and now now that's your gm core book nice um i did see that they're uh, that you guys are going to be um uh, quote unquote improving uh staves and uh stabs or staves however you want to pronounce it yeah uh and talismans yeah so is there uh, anything you really want to share about that or is that uh wait until that comes out I, I want to pretend that it's like, oh, I have big secrets, but it's more that I didn't work directly on them, so I don't uh, have <laughs> the, the exact... No, but I, I, I'm the, aware Ignorance of, is the best reason to say you can't answer that. Uh, of the, I'm aware of the broad changes with it. Uh, Jason Bullman actually worked on both staves and, and talismans. Uh, okay. And there's just a lot of... Um, they weren't as sexy as they could be, as it were. Um, there's a lot of instances where they were abilities and, and, and powers and suites of spells and stuff that were just things that you were already doing so it wasn't really as exciting as a magical item so there's been a lot of tweaking of spell lists on those there are some staves that have gone away right we used to have spell schools so we would have a, yeah. a, a staff of necromancy a staff of divination so on and so forth those don't exist in the exact same way but uh, i'm pretty sure we would have an equivalent staff that can maybe 
wouldn't be called the staff of divination and don't quote me on this one but like it would be an equivalent <laughs> that would be like hey you know this has a couple of spells that are divination themed right you yeah. might have clairvoyance clairvoyance and clear audience or whatever we're, we're calling them now um in in those in that staff it just wouldn't be called staff of divination anymore it would be a broad theme that isn't specifically oh it's a spell school or it's you know whatever and you know talismans are also getting upgrades to just have more interesting abilities that make them more desirable i know as a player you know i was working it with paisa by this point because i was there before the the play test for two even started uh mm-hmm. the public play test but i remember thinking like talismans i don't know if i'm that excited when i get a talisman in my loot sometimes mm. uh, just because they feel very niche or or very specific you have to do this specific thing to get anything out of them it's like well yeah my fighter doesn't you know trip people or whatever they, yeah. they're they're an archer right like i mean i, I have played me. 2e since it came out i have never used a talisman as yeah, alternative I is haven't. Ross, who loves who Ross talismans. loves talismans. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he's the he's like the polar opposite of me, where he like finds the talismans and then somehow finds a use for them. Yeah, and that's that's what we want is we want everyone to find at least one or two talismans that they're really excited for and would always want. And then there there's players who would want to use all of them and want to take the talisman dabbler archetype and make the most out of them. There's yeah. a bard in my my uh, Iron Fang invasion group who loves a particular talisman that helps him with his performance checks for. Uh, inspire heroics right and he, he took talisman dabbler just so you could have four of those a day and always get the most out of them so there there, there will be <laughs> I, hopefully uh, a couple of talismans for everyone by the end uh, of or by the time that we have uh, the player core out and you know we'll obviously keep adding them but hopefully the player core scratches some itch for at least every person a little bit nice so i have one last question last of the mm-hmm. stuff on the uh, remaster project yeah was one of the questions on my list and uh, asked by uh, by matthew there in the chat I know that we're uh, there are going to be subsystems presented in the um, Pathfinder GM core. Uh, are those going to be just kind of collecting all the subsystems into one location, or are they going to be changes to the subsystems? Uh, for the most part, they're the same subsystems that you saw in Game Mastery Guide. Victory points okay. and chases and infiltration and stuff. There won't be one for removing alignment. I don't think that's necessary anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's at least for chases, I think, there's going to be... A, a very tiny uh, amount of math tweaking just to make sure that it plays better. Um, you know, in, uh, implementing feedback. Years like that. of experience now. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. But for the most part, what you're seeing in Game Mastery Guide is probably what you're going to see in GM Core. Relics are going to be there. Artifacts Excellent. are going to be there. Uh, free archetype will stick around, of course, <laughs> for, <laughs> for people. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen Everybody a lot of jokes about like, are they going to make free archetype core so everyone gets it now? And it's like, mm. Well, to be, to be fair, be most of my book. 2E games have had free archetype in them because yeah. people just love the free archetype system. That's fair. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and move on from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, uh, I think we've exhausted a lot of those questions there, and I'm sure there'll be more uh, questions. Sure. We have a into... lot of questions Ooh, fantastic. from the chat. <laughs> so we'll touch on a couple of other things here, and then we can uh, we can get to the chat questions. Um, so I did want to touch on uh, Rage of Elements, which is going to be coming mm-hmm. out in, uh, in August. And so uh, obviously as the creative director of the uh, Roar... Roar is what we've decided on. Sure. Pathfinder Roar. Pathfinder Roar, which works very well for Rage of Elements. Mm-hmm. So um, first off, it's going to have the Kineticist. So adding yeah. something to the Core 16. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I liked the Kineticist in 1E. It mm-hmm. was, I played one as a uh, GM character to help out a group of three players that I had. And uh, it was a lot of fun, like very flavorful uh, class. So I'm actually really excited for Kineticist. 
So yeah, Luis, like just what are your thoughts on uh, including the, I mean, obviously this is the perfect place to include the kineticist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, kineticist rules. I love kineticist. Um, I am a big fan of Avatar The Last Airbender mm-hmm. uh, and anything related to that. Specifically, I'm Earthbender all the way. Uh, <laughs> for, but the the kineticist is interesting in that it will be, I mean, I, as you've seen in the playtest, kind of a big departure from how it looked in 1E. Right? It had a lot of balancing factors and other things to consider that caused burn and, uh, and other factors to be implemented into it. And we wanted to make sure that this class still ob- obviously offered the depth that all of our other classes do, but wasn't uh, didn't have a huge learning curve. Uh, mm-hmm. So I know Logan, who who designed the class, was really intent on trying to keep this uh, usable and, and understandable right out of the gate. Um, and it's interestingly another kind of uh, response to Five E's Warlock. Warlock and Eldritch Blast and just pew 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 all the time. And we want yeah. our pew pew class, and that's Kineticist. <laughs> uh, they they can throw blasts and stuff. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on with them, and. They are enormous. It's a it's a big class, actually. Let me. I mean, the me... original kineticist had one of the <laughs> largest like uh, class pages because of all the kineticist specific abilities. Yes. Yeah. It was huge, and I personally really liked that because I'm also a huge Avatar fan. So kineticist starts on page twelve and ends on page thirty-seven to <laughs> give yes. things put things Yay. into perspective. So, uh, but the way things work, we we. <laughs> did a lot of organizational considerations, right? If you are a fire kineticist, you only care about core kineticist stuff that anyone can take, and then your fire stuff. So you can ignore the other 12 pages or whatever it is for the other uh, elements. There's just the the stuff that's important to you. Uh, so you don't have to, like, if you remember the 1E class, you'd have to, like, look at stuff for every level, every impulse, yeah. and it, mm-hmm. it would all be mixed together. We wanted to avoid that problem. So, okay, look at the core of the class and now flip to fire great and now i have just those two sections are all i okay. need to worry about so it's it's not going to function like if you're playing a ranger and it just goes well i'm a you know an archery ranger then yeah. you know i've got there's an archery feat in here somewhere at first or at second level and then against at sixth level and instead it's going to be categorized by element yeah and it's, i assume it's, element and then level correct yeah um okay. it, because that's so much more important to the kineticist that yes. that theme of your particular element it's it would be a lot harder to just pick out the occasional archery feet because the thing is um, you can't use your water elemental stuff or your air elemental stuff. If you are focusing on fire, if you are an archer, you know, if you're a ranger, you might see a different feat that works for you regardless of the fact yeah. that you're fighting with archery. But here it's like, no, you literally can't use them. There's no point in mixing them up. Yeah, are you still able to mix elements because like higher level kineticists were able to get like different elements and mix them or, is that one of those like that was too complex? We're not going to do it. Yes, you can do that. But OK, uh, yeah, it just depending on your choices, you can mix stuff up there. Uh, but I was working under the assumption like I'm all in on fire. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and then in that case, obviously, you're, you're choosing to uh, yeah. do that complexity at that point. And that's if that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. But if, if no, you want wanna, to be the avatar, you can. Yeah. We didn't want to make element. that. Default I was like, it's either going to be that or it's a free archetype to take the dedication of kineticist so that I can get the second element. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's all built into the class. So we, we just didn't want to force you into having to learn all 25 pages or whatever it was uh, yeah. all at once. Just focus on the stuff that's important to you. Now, on the lore side, 
one of the things that does really interest me with the Rage of Elements is that the uh, Rage of Elements is going to be adding in two new planes, mm -hmm. which includes the uh, plane of metal and the plane of wood, uh, which kind of touches on the um, the five elements more commonly of, you know, the the Asian element of uh, uh, fire, earth, water, wood and metal. And yes. so uh, I'm assuming that this is kind of a tie into the fact that uh, next year looks to be the year of, uh, of Tian Sha as far as uh, books coming out. So exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it's a happy coincidence that that thing worked out because at the time <laughs> when uh, Lost Omens was doing stuff and the rule books were doing stuff, that we were we weren't under the same umbrella of Roar. Uh, we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of doing our, and obviously we were still in communication, but we didn't plan like ah we know Rage of Elements is going to come out. We're going to have Tian Sha happen after that to make sure it all. It's just um, there were themes, you know, like you said, uh, Asian inspired um, elements that were like. We have Imperial Dragons that kind of match that idea. Mm -hmm. So why do they exist, but we only have four planes? There's a lot of like weird questions that came up with that. It's like, why not have the other two planes, you know, the metal and the wood planes from, from the Asian elements? They're all here. We also released uh, an Elemental Lord a couple years back. Maybe things have just been shaken up enough that it turns out they were here the entire time. And uh -huh. both the people of the Inner Sea with their classical elements and Tian Xia with the Asian elements... We're both wrong a little bit, and all six exist, right? And that just leads yeah. to interesting stories and gives us a chance to just play with more toys as a result. Yeah. I'm still looking for my uh, elemental plane of sound. Oh, the Sonic, Sonic but... plane? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I saw why, someone why make I, a comment you, about that. I just plane said the of Sonic metal. plane, and I just it's thought like... of Green Hill Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog immediately. I was just saying, somebody in the comment was just like, at the plane of metal. You know, it's like, yeah, they'd be right adjust adjacent to the subwoofers and the plane of metal is the plane <laughs> of Sonic. <laughs> no, I'm very, very much interested in uh, in both uh, exploring that lore there. But actually, out of curiosity, is there any tie-in with that and the uh, the kineticist? Um, can you play a metal kineticist or? Um, yeah, a metal absolutely. bender. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah. Ooh, metal yeah, bender. You, you have access to all six elements. What, what, oh, awesome! Oh my gosh, yeah. that's so exciting. There are metal very impulses. There are wood impulses. Yeah, you you have you have it all. All right, I know yeah. what my next character is going to be. <laughs> Metal kineticist. Metal kineticist. Well, I guess really my big uh, my big last question as far as the Rage of Elements is concerned is, uh, will there be, um, it is already stated in there that there's going to be additional monsters in this mm -hmm. book. Um, are we also expecting an adventure? Kind of like how no. they had in the, uh, the Book of the Dead, the Dark Archive. This one doesn't have an adventure because... Okay. Uh, the way the book is split up is because after, the kineticist is so big. <laughs> so <the kineticist laughs> after this, the chapter with the kineticist, which is all the the player options, you know, the, the class options and stuff, it then goes and splits the book up the way similar to it does we do with the kineticist. Is here's a chapter all about air, uh, the elemental plane of air and air elementals and air items and air spells and so on. And then we do earth and then we do fire. We do that for the entire book, and that just eats up a lot of space. We even do one at the end where it's like, here's where elements mix and there, there's a bunch of different stuff. So by the time we've talked about all that, uh, we just have run out of space. And honestly, something like an adventure that includes elements is, I think, a little easier to pull off uh, for your typical GM than something that is horror-themed, all undead, right? Or some of the, the kind of particularly weird stuff that was going on with Dark Archive. You know, Dark Archive mm -hmm. had a chapter all about time and time magic and weird time manipulation. That's a harder story to ask a GM to just kind of make up than just something that's like, there's a bunch of fire, there's a bunch of water or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. 
So, I was wondering if maybe you're teasing something when you're like, suddenly a new elemental lord appears that no one knew about. <laughs> there, there are <laughs> new elemental lords because there's one for the there, there's some for yeah. the, the plane of metal and plane of wood and stuff. Uh, and there were the story being that there were elemental lords to each for air, fire, water, and earth, and the evil ones trapped the good ones, and one of the good ones got released a couple years back in in canon. So there's yeah. just there's a potential story there. It just there's nothing in the uh, book itself that lets you play the story. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we might not touch on those in the future, right? It just yeah. there's not a built-in one. You just uh, didn't want to build in a twentieth level adventure or something into the back of this book for freeing an elemental lord. Yeah, that'll blow that, that that probably would require <laughs> an entire adventure an entire, path, season yeah. of, of Pathfinder Society. I think it's more fun. Season to, of the Metal Plane. Yeah, yeah. it'd be more fun to play that out. Uh, that way, then try to cram something in into like twelve pages, right? Twelve pages, I don't think would be enough to justify, or it wouldn't wouldn't do it justice. You know, a cool story like that. That makes a lot of sense. So, and as far as the, uh, I guess the next big book in that uh, that same line, we do have uh, Howl of the Wild, which is going yes. to be coming out in uh, in twenty twenty four. I know that's a ways off, but uh, yeah. very recent announcement. Very recent announcement, and uh, I know that they've announced um, that there will be six ancestors. Correct. Yeah. Any of those you'd like to uh, to highlight or talk about? Um, I know you're just talking earlier about uh, canonizing the pointy ears of uh, of centaurs. But <laughs> well, um, we actually just had uh, a blog post yesterday where we gave you the names of <clears throat> all of the ancestries, all six of them. Uh, when we first oh, nice. announced the book, we we told you centaurs and minotaurs are going to be in there, uh, but. Uh, yesterday we had a blog post where we showed off the crew of the Zoetrope, which is a, the big uh, airship that is kind of centered around the narrative of the book. The book is kind of presented mm-hmm. in a Attenborough-esque nature documentary style uh, where where this crew travels across Galarian to look at the various uh, animals uh, in the world. And they're led by an Aruxi naturalist. And then the other six crew members uh, are the different ancestries. So we have a Minotaur, we have a Centaur, we have a Merfolk. Uh, so... Those are coming back. We have an Athamaru, which you might have known previously as Lokatha, but you know, with the whole remaster, they they got a new name. Uh, but they're still funny fish people. Um, we have <laughs> a brand new ancestry, which is a, a bug called a Cirque. They draw upon innate magic around them uh, for for power uh, and, and their abilities. And finally, we have the broadest of all ancestries, the awakened animal ancestry. To cover anything we could have missed at this point, you can just play. <laughs> if an you want to make a, a a blank creature, you know, yes, yeah. blank any humanoid, kind of animal, <laughs> any yeah. kind of animal. If you want rabbit folk, okay, play an awakened animal. If you want to be uh, a badger, if you want to be a fish, you know, whatever you want to be, awakened animal will cover what's left. Because honestly, trying to do an ancestry for every animal type is a fool's errand, right? We would have to. Do yeah. an entire so many things yeah. rule books line <laughs> worth of just ancestries, right? So it make the look right. tiny. I was gonna say, yeah. and you don't want to run into the uh, the Starfinder thing where there's just like 800 ancestries, also. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, Starfinder has it easy where they can publish an ancestry by just putting a little sidebar. It's like, here's your stats, that's all you need. You don't need yeah. feats and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, that, that's what's coming. Uh, I know more about them i'm choosing not to talk about them just because that book is so far out and we only yeah. just announced some of these ancestries uh yesterday but there, there's a lot of cool stuff coming there uh and that book is just really imaginative in a, a really exciting way uh james case senior designer is the lead on that book he was the lead on dark archive as well 
which mm-hmm. is another book that I think just played a, a lot with the format oh, yeah. and did a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, and it's just really exciting. Go check out our blog post uh, the, to meet the cr- crew of the Zoetrope and get to see a lot of the concept art that was used to develop these characters and 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 give you an exciting crew. There's a lot of fun notes from our, our concept artist, Kent Hamilton, that talks about like, oh, why does this character have this piece of gear with them and stuff like that. It's just always a delight to, to see Kent's concepts and, and all his notes. Yeah, I was uh, yeah. I was reading that this morning, actually. And uh, the Merfolk was interesting to me because there's a new assistive device for yeah. Merfolk because obviously Merfolk, fish bottom, no legs. Mm-hmm. So it, it's uh, if you haven't seen the blog post, it basically looks like a um, like one of those wheelchairs that lets you kind of stand up uh, yeah. in them. And it's like mm. kind of got a sack of like water, I'm guessing, inside mm-hmm. of it for like the Merfolk to go into. So it looks like a like closed up chariot almost. Oh, uh, nice. oh yeah, yeah. That's probably a better way of saying it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a better way of saying it. <laughs> That's why he's the creative director, Jordan. Uh, yeah, that's why he gets paid the big bucks, and I just, you know, say funny things on on a, on a microphone. Okay, well then we'll we'll go ahead and leave uh, How the Wild off there, since that is so far out. But we'll have to have you on to talk about that um, yeah. once it's a little bit. Closer. Or you can bring James on; he'll tell you all about it. Right? Sure oh, that'd be, be happy to, Oh yeah, to that'd be fun because uh, yeah. Jess really likes Minotaurs. Um, she like she likes it when he can never make a character work. So she like heard there was Minotaurs, and she's like, yes. Yeah. I feel like that was a push from uh, from Mr. Bullman. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I will say that one thing we did talk about uh, at Paisacon is Minotaurs and Centaurs are both going to be ancestries that are large. We're we're mm. you know setting a new precedent here with large ancestries. You you will be big. You will take up four squares. But if yep. you're not into that, or you know, find yourself that yeah, that probably going to be a lot more trouble than it's worth. They each offer. Uh, a medium heritage, so you can go back to your just a five foot square, uh, yeah, like yeah, like pony centaurs and things oh, like, like that. Well, so, just like... so Jess's term for that for a, for a minotaur that's small is diminutor. <laughs> so, I, which I love. That's one of the funniest things. Probably one of Jess's funniest jokes is diminutor. So, I'm she's happy with that because I mean, the thing with like Starfinder and having large animals is or large uh, players is sometimes you just get stuck in stuff because it's just too yeah. small. Yeah. Minitar was right there too. But well, let's go ahead and get to the most important release of this year. Uh, Hi Helm. Hi Helm. <laughs> yeah. You would say that's the most important <laughs> release. So yes, very excited for the uh, for the Lost Omens High Helm book. Um, Me too. Finally, finally some dwarf love. Rick, Rick, can we talk about your ultimate dwarf project? I am working on an ultimate dwarf project, which will eventually be available for our patrons. Um, as I basically have uh, uh, already started. Uh, before this book has even come out, um, I started accumulating all of the uh, the dwarf lore from various other sources and everything else to to make like a dwarf uh, uh, a dwarf guide handbook, if you will, for mm-hmm. players um, in the inevitable hope. And then uh, it's probably uh, ten years down the road of uh, of doing a certain upcoming adventure path that we'll get to here in a minute. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm very very excited for High Helm. So I figure we could talk about about that. Um, that is the next book in the Lost Omens line. Yes. Uh, hi, Helm. Uh, I'm excited for it. Um, there's not that there's hatred for dwarves at the office. There just there wasn't like love going around the way that mm-hmm. people love elves or people love orcs and stuff. It was just no one to champion uh, dwarves. And I, it's not like I'm like dwarves, yeah, because I'm more of a halfling guy. But I love uh, my halflings too. I love my halflings. Wrong, but... um, I think we were talking but... about how halflings have a shockingly lack of lore. There's yeah, a shocking uh, lack of like public lore on them. I'm working on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he he just uh, did the nose thing. Like he's he's told us that's coming up. 
<laughs> trust, trust in Luis. I'm doing, That's I'm the baseball promise. sign. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. exactly. <laughs> he never said it, so he's not going to get in trouble, but he showed it. <laughs> um, anyone listening to this after the fact, I didn't do anything of the sort. They're making it all up. Uh, uh, yes. the, <laughs> no, so there was an idea I had a couple years ago. I found a random, I find random RPG books at used bookstores and stuff here and there. And I found yeah. one for uh, the older Lord of the Rings RPG on Minas Tirith. And it was a very concert, comprehensive tome about like every layer of, of the, the city. And here's who lives in each district. And here's everyone's job and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. This feels like one of the Sky Citadels, right? The way it, it's laid out and stuff. Yeah. It's a big old fortress city. Oh, we should do one of these for a Sky Citadel. We were, you know, I don't know if Absalom was still being worked on or if it was done by that point. It's like we could do Absalom, but for High Helm or some other Sky Citadel, that'd be fun. And I threw the idea around a couple times. And eventually came the time where it's like, oh, we got to come up with new Lost Omens books. I pitched High Helm. Let's do one of those. It can be a dwarf book. It can, you know, be a city book uh, and all yeah. that other stuff. And there were enough people that liked the idea that I was going to go ahead with it. Uh, or that that it felt like I could put it on the schedule, and then came the time when Patrick Reaney, uh, who was a developer on the Adventure Path at the time, it's like, oh, I got to come up with the next Adventure Path. I have this idea, uh, this and that. You know, maybe we could do a Lost Omens book to supplement that. And I said, actually, Patrick, what if we did something <laughs> for dwarves, and we did a, a dwarf book, you know, uh, based on the city that this is going to take place? And he's like, oh yeah, I like that. So this is the first time I can think of that's been. Uh, happening at Paisa, where the setting book came first and then inspired an adventure path. Because typically we do adventure paths and then do a supplemental book, like Hell's Rebels came out and then the Chelyax campaign setting book came out. Right, uh, It was inverse this time, and that's how Sky King's Tomb came to be. But Hi Helm, I was just kind of excited about uh, the idea of diving deep into one of these, because they've been around forever in oh, the yeah. setting. We just haven't really explored I've one. Always, I've I love the concept of them, yeah. like the Sky mm-hmm. Citadels. They've shown up once or twice, uh, it, kind of in-depth. There was one entry in castles of the inner sea which was mm-hmm. high helm specifically eight pages or so not very yeah. in-depth uh and Kragadan showed up in one of the adventure pass volumes as a, an adventuring site mm-hmm. not very in-depth either pretty in-depth <laughs> but not like full lost yeah. women's book in depth so i got excited for this idea and started putting things together i saw the high helm entry in castles of the inner sea it talked about like one part of the city and mm-hmm. seemed to suggest that the city was just like this one district that, that that one map and i thought that's not as interesting what if there were multiple layers in the city and all this other stuff and soon enough got to flesh out a lot of the ideas through the outline there wasn't much there on high helm so we got to make up a lot of new stuff and got an awesome team together for that and now it's it, it's trying to do as best as it can uh what absalom did lost omens absalom city of lost omens did for absalom but in about a third of the page count for high helm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because it, it it's not 400 pages, yeah. it's 128, or 136, excuse me. Uh, and I, I'm really proud of what we ended up pulling off there. I think it does great things. It took some lessons that we learned from Absalom, and and it hopefully improved on the general format of the, the, the thing. Uh, and there's just a lot of stuff going on, and I'll... Now I'm I'm the dwarf guy at the office, <laughs> I think. I, I am into dwarves now, the way I am into... Not quite the way I'm into ha- uh, halflings, but I, I definitely will stick up for dwarves now. Yeah, I've been I've been subjecting subjecting my wife to uh, uh, some dwarf metal recently and everything oh, else man. with Windrose. <laughs> um, so uh, for for any Windrose fans out there, um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. What I took away from that entire conversation is that I have you solely to thank for the uh, the next amazing three months of uh, of dwarf content <laughs> that's going to be coming out here soon. So thank you, Luis. You've uh, you've you've made Christmas come early for me. Yeah. Well, also thank John Copton, who's been leading that adventure path. And well, the- thank you, John. If uh, if you're ever listening to this. Be really happy to have him on at some point. Um, yeah. Hoping, uh, hoping with this new format that we can have a lot more guests. I, I was going to say we got to have him on specifically so that you can nerd out about dwarf stuff. I love some dwarfs. <laughs> Somebody's got to champion the uh, the short folk, and uh, so I'm here for the dwarves and the the elves, the gnomes. They get or the dwarves and the uh, the halflings, the gnomes. They get plenty of attention. It's true. Not so a, I know that the guy. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I do know that the uh, the book's supposed to include some uh, new ancestry feet, uh, equipment, animal companions mm-hmm. that have been mentioned in there. Um, yeah. Any of these that really kind of stand out to you? Are we getting any new like dwarven heritages or? Uh... There is a single heritage um, uh, and it's related to the dwarven pantheon. Um, oh, nice. We talk about the dwarven pantheon in this book and give you entries. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Yeah. We give you entries for the, the, the dwarven gods that aren't Driscar or... Uh, Torag, because they've already been talked about elsewhere in 2E. Yeah. But if you want to learn about these, these are the first real deep dives on most of these um, uh, gods and finally get to flesh them out and, and see what they look like. Uh, but the heritage is all about Dwarven Pantheon. You, once per week, can cast a spell that they would normally grant their clerics. So, for example, um, hmm. we'll go with Trude the Mighty, the god of bravery, defense, yeah, and strength. Trude. His uh, first level spell for clerics is Endure. Uh, and now with this heritage, you can cast Endure once per week uh, as if you were one of his clerics. Um, oh, nice. Rather cool. than, yeah. Well, that works really well because one of the things that's commonly overlooked for dwarves is, you know, their focus on religion and how important religion mm-hmm. is to them. I mean, they, I guess before, I'm, I'm not entirely positive how the uh, the stat bonuses are going to be working after the remaster, but before dwarves did standardly get a wisdom bonus. So mm-hmm. very excited for that. And they still that. do, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, we, we just kept that. I don't know. Rick has been keeping up with the, the errata, how we added the variant where you can swip, swap in for, yes. for just two free boosts at any point, regardless of your ancestry, yeah. rather than take the erase. So that's st- sticking around so we can keep the, the older arrays as well. And nice. so we don't have to restat our characters. <laughs> no, exactly. We, we, we try yeah. to minimize the amount of changes necessary uh, to transition from 2E to the remaster. Well, and I'm, I'm obviously very excited for the uh, the Pantheon stuff because actually uh, we are getting ready to launch the second season of our Tales from Darkmoon Bell, which is, uh, you know, Ross ran a game for us when Pathfinder first came out, second edition first came out, where he did his own conversion of... Uh, Hollow's Last Hope. Hollow's Last Hope. Yes, thank you. And I played a... Uh, a dwarven fan, y'all. <laughs> oh. And I played a, a Dwarven champion of the uh, the Dwarven Pantheon in that. Yeah. So uh, I was working with the two paragraphs on each one of the gods that they just slipped into Dwarves of Galarian. Um, yeah. So having a much more in-depth look at the deities, I'm very excited for. Mm-hmm. We, we also give you a whole column of text about the Dwarven Pantheon itself. Oh. You know, we have the Pantheon rules. Uh, uh, just in time. It. We're about to start uh, start recording that here shortly. So just yeah. in time. I was, I was going to say, Rick is going to have mm. so much more material to work with with Grim. Mm, it's going to be great. <laughs> We're going to have so many more uh, Dwarven uh, history lessons for the for the crew. There's going to be a lot to learn in this book. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, Rick is probably, up to the challenge. If anybody is up to the challenge of, cup just, of coffee, yeah, <laughs> of just inhaling a book and, and immediately being able to synthesize it, it's going to be Rick. Uh, if anything, you'll end up doing what I did, which is spend 10 minutes explaining what all happens with clan daggers, because we talk about that in this book. Ooh. 
Fancy. Uh, and I did that to my players when when they ended up in Kragadan a couple weeks ago. It's like, yeah. let me tell you all about dwarves. I happen to know a lot <laughs> right now. <laughs> let me share. Eventually, eventually, everyone will convert. Elves are old news. I like that. There's a there's already a comment of the share memory for Grim is going to be like three hours mm. long, and I'm here for it. <laughs> it's gonna be so great. The entire it's, history. It's just of, Rick reading the the High Helm book. <laughs> the entire entirety of the history of Clan Ansvar. So actually, well, yeah. It's, one last uh, one last thing for this, uh, I guess, from a lore perspective, um, since you are the uh, the roar guy, roar man. What is the thing that you're the most excited for people to uh, to read? Do oh, you think boy. would be um, a good topic of conversation from that Pick book? My favorite child. Um, <laughs> the I think the biggest thing that I'm really excited for people to check out is the overall narrative that's happening with High Helm. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want this book to just be a static. Here's the setting. You know, here's the city, go have at it. I want there to be stuff going on and also needed stuff to be going on to explain like what you can do as an adventurer, right? We always need crime to be happening and monsters to be around for adventurers to go deal with. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I wanted other stuff to be uh, going on. What are the local politics and stuff? And the, the biggest thing that's happening is in setting a couple years ago, uh, specifically, I think it's 4720 is when we decided on that. Uh, no, 4716. So seven years ago, the dwarves, obviously this is a little retcon because we hadn't talked about it before, but <clears> dwarves <throat> find an enormous cache of adamantine uh, deep beneath High Helm. Ooh. A lot of adamantine, like to the point where it's like they're set for life, right? Like <laughs> To the point they're, they're making silverware and Millions of generations <laughs> at that <laughs> nice. point. But they're like, okay, this is happening. And then three years later, they're working with this adamantine and and suddenly Tarbafon breaks out. Um, as some of you know here, you know, you're dealing with Tarbafon's uh, escape, uh, the fallout that comes with that, and the dwarves get scared. So a couple of years uh, after finding this adamantine in 4720, they decide we should defend ourselves in case Tarbafon comes <laughs> knocking on our door. Yeah. What can we do? Hey, we have a bunch of adamantine. That stuff's really tough. Even Why don't if we encase ourselves in that? <laughs> kind of, basically, <laughs> yeah. they, they figure out a way to make an alloy out of it. Mm. They mix it with um, cold iron. Is that right? I don't want to lie and mess this up. Uh, <laughs> they, they end up creating an alloy where they mix... Oh, well, you're looking that up, I do have it in my in my head where it's that uh, the Avengers scene or whatever it is, where it's just a dwarf opens up a big thing when Tarbifon breaks out. It's like, fine, I'll do it myself and just pulls on an adamantine. <laughs> um, they, they mix adamantine and lead because lead <laughs> has a history in the game of like blocking magic, right? Yes. Um, so they make this this alloy called they call it Keepstone, even though it's metal, right? Um, and Keepstone has defensive properties against magic and spellcasting and then it's just super duper tough because it's got nice. the adamantine base um they developed a secret technique to create a bunch of keepstone and they're like we're going to make a shield around high helm we're gonna defend the entire empress peak and what's currently going on is this kind of years-long project called uh torag's shield uh and effectively what it is is just this giant set of rolling shutters that can be deployed at any point to encase the entire mountain in an adamantine shield in case someone comes a knocking right um, <laughs> no no hints on that happening <clears throat> at all right uh and it's also a lot of work right even with as much adamantine as they have it takes a while to develop this stuff it takes a lot of work to build enormous shutters that can surround an entire mountain these things are not just a you know 
uh, take a, a week and everything's ready to go. You know, it's not Ikea style yeah. setup. Um, <laughs> and there are people who are excited for it. And then we are now three years into the project and they're getting kind of tired of it the way that you get tired of road construction, right? Yeah. Um, you get tired of all the noise in your neighborhood because you live next door to what people are calling Torag's wart because they're tired of, <laughs> of the whole project. Um, there are people who are like, is this the best use of this resource? You know, we could have done a lot of other stuff with adamantine. Um, there are people who want to sabotage it for their own ill gains. Yeah. And then there are people who live outside of High Helm, you know, the people of the Five Kings Mountains that are like, please hurry up. So in case something <laughs> goes wrong, we can mm -hmm. sneak away to High Helm. Uh, so we are in the midst of this construction project that will hopefully at least set up a lot of potential for different stories, uh, and, and give you as players something to do in, in the city, right? You can get involved, you can choose to not get involved, you know, um, you might be, and you might end up you know, rubbing shoulders with people who are involved, whether or not you like it. Uh, and then it just sets up High Helm as a place where stuff is actively happening rather than just a static location. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if we need to deploy Torag Shield in the future, you know, we now have that as a story element that we can use in Adventure Pass or whatever we might need uh, as well. But just it it didn't make sense to me that Tarbafond is here and then the setting goes on as normal, right? People should be reacting to that. Yes. Uh, people should mm -hmm. be trying to defend themselves from that. And this is one of those uh, great instances where we had a chance to really talk about how is that happening? What does that mean for people? And you know, the the ripples that come out from trying to defend yourself from from this great threat oh trust me uh, uh jordan and the rest of my players are very familiar with the uh the level of threat that they are facing oh, oh i know gosh golly <laughs> oh gosh golly on our patreon <laughs> on you our can patreon. listen That's to us to. uh Just barely surviving over and over again <laughs> i was uh, i was saving this down for the end for the announcements and all the rest of that stuff but uh, i'll go ahead and throw this in here just because it uh, organically fit that we did recently hit our uh our target for uh the weekly um as uh, the podcast has uh, stabilized over uh, the 5K a month mark, at which point we're going to be going to Weekly Tyrant's Grasp uh, coming out soon in September. Uh, we've just started uh, book four, uh, so we'll likely be in book five, I uh, believe uh, written by one Luis Loza. I've been uh, waiting so many years for this. <laughs> oh, we've been waiting as players. That was like half the selling point. It was like, oh, Luis did one of the books? Heck yeah. That's good. Well, I believe that was your first Adventure Path Yes, it was. And they gave you a book five. Wow. That's uh, mm -hmm. that's some so trust good. right there. Obviously, it paid off considering that they have now you know elevated you to the position you are in the company. Yeah. But yeah, so hopefully by the time that we're talking uh, this time next year, you know, we'll be uh, well and truly. Uh, I'm not going to get into any of the details on it, obviously, spoilers. But uh, I'm also because one of your players is on this it. right now. It's true. Yeah. Very, very excited for that. So uh, yeah, the, the reaction to everything going on with the Whispering Tyrant, though, for uh, the dwarves. Uh, makes me very excited because it feels like a built-in uh, hook for, like you were saying, maybe a future adventure path. So uh, Luis laying the groundwork to say, hey, we've got to come back to dwarves later. I appreciate also. <laughs> I appreciate somebody in the in the chat, Eel King, was like, oh, this is Pacific Rim. They went and built a you know a giant wall when they could have been building adamantine mechs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Maybe maybe they've saved enough to, to pull out an adamantine mech later on. Oh, no, the adamantine mech is definitely like uh, it's going to be one of those, uh, you know, Power Rangers type things. So all the PCs can get a piece of the uh, of the mech to make the Voltron, you know, kind of thing. Or it's going to be one of those anime things where just a bunch of legs sprouts out of the bottom of the mountain. The mountain just gets up and walks off. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> it's it's the ultimate howl's moving castle yep fine dwarven craftsmanship howl's moving uh high helms yep 
Speaking of adventure paths, though, I do want to touch on a couple of the adventure paths real quick. Yeah. Um, so speaking also of Luis and adventure paths, uh, the current adventure path, Stolen Fate, um, the yeah. last book of that is coming out this uh, month, which yes. is also a Luis book. Mm-hmm. Um, so finishing off, I believe, uh, what it, the the worst of all possible worlds sounds yeah. chipper. It is. It's, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a Everything romp. is fine. <laughs> Um, so I believe uh, the stolen fate. Um, not to go into any details and everything, obviously on your book, but that is the uh, the tie into the the Harrow deck, correct? Uh, kind correct. of the deck of many things, um, or the deck of many worlds, I believe is the. Don't have the details on it. <laughs> yeah, the Harrow deck is our equivalent to like tarot deck, fortune telling stuff in the setting. Yeah, and I've always been a fan of the Harrow deck. Uh, it showed up for me the first time in uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne. Uh, yes. which is the second AP I ran. In an extraordinarily interesting way, yeah. Yeah, um, and there is also the Harrowing Module by Crystal Frazier. It's one of my favorite adventures that Paizo's ever published, uh, and I've just loved it ever since, and any chance I get to like do Harrow stuff, I jump on it, whether or not uh, I've thought in advance, is this a good idea? <laughs> you know, that's a different question, but I, I jump on Harrow opportunities when I can. I wrote an article about the Harrow that was featured in uh, book four of Agents of Edgewatch, just a little back matter to explain what the heck is the Harrow. Uh, and I was really excited <laughs> to do that. So when I had the opportunity to write this adventure path, I'm like, I'm in probably, you know, to my own detriment is a lot of work, but I, I wanted to do it. And I'm really excited for a lot of the stuff that's going on. And then there's a, there's a lot of just traveling the world because you're high level. Why not? Let's go all over the place. I'm kind of curious. Um, just, I mean, we're, again, we're just talking earlier about you writing book five of uh, of Tyrant's Grasp, and uh, you know now writing book three of this adventure path, which is an eleventh to twentieth. And uh, I believe you wrote the last book for uh, Age of Ashes Correct. as well. So, do you just really like writing the high level play, or is that uh... that's all they give me? <laughs> <laughs> I was, was going to say it's the somebody has to do it. Final do it yeah. myself. So I'll do it I myself. Did... He says, pulling on his writer's glove. <laughs> I did. Um number six for age of ashes because at the time i took the assignment i was in the midst of doing tyrant's grass five i'm like i need the most time possible give me the last one right yeah. um to give me as much time and then came uh fist of the ruby phoenix and i wanted specifically mm-hmm. to write the first one because it was the biggest sandbox one and i really like sandboxes i was asked by ron Lundine, hey can you do number four this one's particularly complex and i trust you to do this okay fine ron i'll do it for you and then <laughs> that I was signed strength on. of thousands, right? <laughs> yeah, strength of thousands. Yeah. Um, strength of thousands four. Um, and then I volunteer for uh, Stolen Fate and just happen to get assigned to the third one, which is, you know, equivalent to a book six. <laughs> yeah. So anything that I only do four, five, and six books, anything that's <laughs> below level 11, I, I guess I, I don't know how to do that. Um, yeah, I, just, I didn't know if it was a preference for you, if you're just like, I like to be able to play around with those higher level things or if it's. <laughs> So based on my experience with Age of Ashes 6, uh, I would never want to do that again because of at the time, <laughs> the bestiary was all I had to work with, right? And that yeah. only had so many high-level monsters, specifically around the 18 to 20 range. Um, yeah. And the majority of those are dragons. And I didn't want to just have every other fight have another dragon because I'm sure that would get boring. Um, so I, I don't a, know. There's probably plenty of players that'd be like, bring on the dragons, all yeah. the dragons. <laughs> I unfortunately it, never got, sorry, this is a small side tangent. I never yeah. got to that part, but um, I did run through Age of Worms, the mm-hmm. uh, dungeon, the old dungeon yeah, magazine. Yeah, I've done uh, that. Adventure, but, yeah, and there was an entire book where it was just like, start the book, fight dragons, 
fight dragons the entirety of the thing. Yeah, that was the <laughs> it was dragons and giants and giants and dragons. Yeah, that's the tenth adventure, I believe. Yeah. yeah, you go up to like a mountain castle and it's, it's just all dragons and all giants. Unfortunately, the 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 group for that was before I found the FTP crew. Unfortunately, the group for that kind of fell apart, and I think it was book uh, part seven or eight. Uh because we gotten all the way through uh, the Shackled City Adventure Path, which is yeah. actually very good. I got through all of Age of Worms in Pathfinder, and that was oh, a good nice. time. Um, yeah, I like that adventure. adventure path a lot. Uh, yeah. Also, um, Savage Tide. Savage but we Tide, only got yeah. through like fifth or sixth adventure on that. Anyway, um, yeah, there was just a lot to do. And I, I realize now after the fact, a lot of people I think would have been into like Dragon Boss Rush. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> At the time, I just like didn't – I didn't want to – ruin the experience of like hey this is the first time where we say high level play works i don't want people to be upset so there was just like how can i mix things up um and i used what i could but there was uh, just a lot of it, it happened again kind of with um the uh stolen fate adventure because not because um mm-hmm. it's like oh we have all dragons because by this point we have best Gary three but there's a lot of thematic spots where hey they're monsters that would be drawn for specific mythologies and folklore probably are better fits what do we have that covers that oh not that many but i i've I've since learned you know how to take advantage of the the toolbox at the end and add monsters that i think are are useful and and would would need and tweak stat blocks here and there to adjust stuff uh you know there's like oh here's the valkyrie stat block it's like level seven Hmm. (laughs) well if i tweak these numbers now it's level 18 right like just learning how to mess with that um but it's just a lot of work to wrap things up <laughs> um, and very, very mild spoilers for, for Age of Ashes and Stolen Fate. But there's a whole big thing at the end uh, or near the end where there's a big social scene, an enormous social scene that uh, I put a lot of thought into playing out, uh, how that played out. And then I had to kind of do that again in Stolen Fate. Uh, and luckily, I got to look back like, oh, what can I copy paste from <laughs> Age of Ashes for that? But there's a lot of cool stuff going on. I'm really excited, and I'm excited to see what people think of that. There's just, um, yeah, there's always like some weird ideas that I get really latched onto. And I think the entire second <laughs> chapter of Stolen Fate, I'm like, I really like this part in particular. There's just something about this this part that I, I really like that I had a lot of fun with. There's always some chapter in an adventure that I have the most fun with. And chapter two of Stolen Fate 3 is, is the one for me. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, again, unfortunately, uh, it will be um, some time before we're going to have a, even an opportunity to play through um, something like that. But yeah. I do always enjoy just picking up an Adventure Path book, reading through it, um, imagining what it would be like to be able to run through it. <laughs> yeah, at least you even get to do that. For all of us, it's like we have to stay far away from the Adventure Path yeah. books because at some Back point off. it might come up that we get to play this. <laughs> I read the summaries that are put out before the books are released and that's it. Yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of the other Adventure Path books and actually, you know, speaking a little bit of uh, uh, getting to uh, getting to the question and answer section. So I won't drag uh, drag this on too long. No, I'm happy to stick around. I got nowhere to be. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. So following um, Stolen Fate is the uh, the Sky King's Tomb, which is going to yeah. be the uh, the Dwarven Adventure Path that I'm super excited for. Um, I don't believe. Uh, uh, actually, I don't think uh, you're I don't think I remember seeing your name on any of the uh, the upcoming Adventure Path books. No, I, so. I my my fingerprints are all over High Helm and that's plenty I, I think I got to take a break from Adventure Pass. or just a lot of work. Um, <laughs> One would imagine, yeah. So yeah, very excited for uh, Sky King's mm-hmm. Tomb. Won't go into too many details other than the fact that it, of course, does start in uh, High Helm. And so it is that, yeah. uh, as you were saying, it's the, uh, you reverse the chicken and the egg for this one, yeah. where uh, 
it turns out the egg came first. After that is the uh, the four-part season of Ghosts, which, uh, again, I think I made the joke earlier about next year being the year of T and Shaw. Yeah, for sure. Which is uh, excellent. And the first four-part um, mm-hmm. adventure uh, that you guys have done, I believe, since it's going to be one for each season of the year. Um, Correct. For your, and also uh, supernatural horror. And as a big fan of uh, Japanese and Korean horror movies, um, I'm very excited for that. Was gonna, yeah. that's, the one, that's the one I think the, the Find the Path crew, we've all universally been like, man, I wish we could play that. Like, oh, dang. Well, uh, the faster you finish Tired Scratch, the sooner you can swap in another it is true. AP, yeah. right? Like, yep. Yep. Just need to do a boss for us. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're they're on their way into Veerlich now, so we'll see how that goes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> It'll be it's, fine. It's such a bad idea, and yet we're still doing it. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. And then after that is going to be uh, the 200th Adventure Path book. Yeah. Uh, which is going to be a one-part uh, adventure path, which is... Uh, double-sized. Double-sized, though. 200 pages. Yeah. So kind of a nice theme, and I believe that's, uh, what is, uh, Seven Dooms for Sandpoint. Yes. Uh, which is uh, a James Jacobs book, so kind of bringing mm-hmm. it full circle. Correct. He, he did number one, he did number 100, and I guess to do number 200. <laughs> and we'll see so him again So he only publishes 100. every 100. <laughs> 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 no, he, he did one for uh, Gatewalkers. He's done stuff here and there. Yeah. Um, just happens and, to be if it, it's a, a you know uh, a landmark like a hundred or two hundred. James Jacobs tends to have ideas for how to make those special and exciting. And I believe that one's um, the little bit I understand of it is very interesting because it's you know return back to Sandpoint, and I think Correct. it's kind of a an adventure version of the uh, the playtest that he did for the Pathfinder uh, rules. Correct. Um, basically, um, it's kind of the story that he did for that. From what I know, they had a home game before. Pathfinder was even a thing, and that's where Sandpoint came from and stuff. And yeah, he, there's been a, a history of James running games and then <laughs> taking those ideas and what's happened in them and turning them into playable adventures. That's how um, Malevolence happened as well. Oh, nice. So yeah, those are going to be uh, the adventure paths coming out pretty soon. Uh, you'd mentioned, not really going to go into that much here, but you'd mentioned at the top that there's the uh, Abomination Volts uh, ARPG, the, uh, yes. the action role-playing game. That I believe the Kickstarter went live for that just a couple of days ago. Correct. And uh, is going through the end of this month. I think it's already uh, 60% funded. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the team does with that and also see what other games they, they show off in the future. I know we announced <laughs> that they, they have two games in the works. Ooh, uh, so, that's exciting. Yeah, getting to see the other one will be fun. So how did that partnership come about? Like, did they come to you guys and say, hey, we've got an idea for a game? Or did you, like, go looking for somebody to do something with Age of Ashes? Or I wish I Bolt? could tell you. Uh, I'm not. The <laughs> licensing team was all about that. Uh, 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 so they might know. Uh, though I've had people come up to me here that I'm creative direct and be like, oh, I work for this company. We should do this other thing. I'm like, cool. I'll take your card and just hand off your info to the right person. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I get involved after the deal has been struck, right? So they've asked us about like, you know, what can we do? What stories will, uh, uh, you know, what monsters can we still use or should be, we still be using and stuff like that because of the remaster. Um, if we do this and that, will it mess the setting up or anything like that? So that, that happens once the, the licensing deal is in place. Um, how it happens, I'm sure, um, I don't know. Everyone happens to hang out at the same coffee shop and just, <laughs> talk about like oh i sure would love to license with pathfinder and then they meet each other and then <laughs> it's gonna say it's the, it's the seattle special of just uh everybody goes the, to the, the same coffee shop licensing meet cute of sorts yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then, honestly they chose i think they chose a pretty good time for it because uh yeah. i imagine 
here in a couple of weeks and all the rest of that stuff once people are uh, finished tearing through uh, Diablo 4, which just dropped. I'm sure a lot of yes. people are like, what other games kind of like this might be coming out sometime in the future? And then uh, and then here you are. Here so are. I'm very interested to see what they do with it. Um, I'm a big fan of the Alcat games, and I know this is kind of a different direction. Mm-hmm. But uh, it will be interesting to see how it all turns out. And maybe yeah, I can I, actually find time away from my desk and editing to actually play it. I'm I'm excited because of the you know, you mentioned the Alcat games, but this is the first non just like CRPG, a computer RPG that's you know, re retreading kind of old ground. The more uh licensing partners we have doing different things, so eventually mm-hmm. there will be a point where someone comes up with just like a brand new story, right? Like we'll we'll have um because the Baldur's Gate RPG, right? That was a brand yeah. new story. That wasn't mm-hmm. based off of any existing material. I would love for that to happen someday where I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. It's yeah. a new story for me. I'm so entrenched in Adventure Pass and our, our setting and stuff. Like, I always know what's going to happen, right? I, I can go play Abomination Vaults, but I know the story already. So eventually we'll have a part and it's like, I have an original idea and, and we'll be super excited for that uh, and get to see whether, you know, that's a CRPG or an action game or whatever it is, but having those original ideas is really what I'm looking forward to. I want Pathfinder to get out there and, and hook people in regardless of whether you're here for uh, role-playing games or, you know, an action RPG or comic books or whatever. Just the, I, the setting and, and stories that we tell, I think, are so amazing. That's how I got hooked in the first place, right? I, I got excited at the the world, and now here I am in charge of it. Somebody oh. in our uh, chat has already said Pathfinder fighting game. <laughs> Fist, yeah. of the Ruby, R- Fist of the Ruby Phoenix yeah. fighting game. I yeah. can see that. Um, there's uh, in the the lead up to to uh, the AP's release, James Case, who wrote the third volume in that, took all the artwork and made he mocked up uh, a fighting game character select screen <laughs> with all the NPCs from that, and it looks amazing. And it's like someday someone will grab that and be like, "Oh, we can do that," and actually turn that into a fighting game, and I'll be really excited for it. I was gonna say, I would love a Starfinder <laughs> game too. Like, I love the Pathfinder yeah. setting, of course, but like a Starfinder game, maybe like a Starfighter kind of game would be really or a cool. Starfinder or, XCOM or something. Yeah, like oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was Starfinder XCOM would be great, or um, one of the uh, <laughs> not like a 4X, but those kind of like um, like uh, the X series of games where you like you go to the different star stations and like mm-hmm. trade stuff around and do missions and stuff would be really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully that'll be something in the future. I'll, I'll let you know uh, when Netflix gets back to me about the television series uh, pilot that I'm writing. <laughs> um, all dwarfs. <laughs> I, I was going to say, note, that was a joke. That was a joke, unfortunately. Do not, do not add us about the fact that Rick is writing for Netflix. That's not true. <laughs> if, it, if anyone listening right now is a Netflix uh, executive or something like that, please let me know. We want to do a Pathfinder TV show. Oh, I'd love to do a Pathfinder television series. That'd be great, man. Yeah, I suppose then... Uh, uh, really, as far as Starfinder is concerned, which was just uh, broached there for a second, uh, the Starfinder Enhanced is coming out here pretty yeah. soon. Uh, did want to kind of touch base with that. So that's going to be, uh, uh, from what I understand, some new versions of uh, a couple of the classes, the uh, the Envoy, the Solarian, mm-hmm. the Technomancer, uh, and Witch Warper, uh, yeah. kind of revised and revamped. So am, am I kind of taking this right as this is kind of the uh, the Starfinder equivalent of Pathfinder Unchained? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and that they're going to be adding... Uh, a new narrative uh, subsystem for uh, starship combat, which does sound very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Were you involved involved anything in that or my my fingers have been out of the Starfinder pie for quite a while at this point. Okay, um, I think my last contribution was maybe a couple aliens uh, here and there. Um, yeah, but it's been a bit. Uh, I love Starfinder. I'm just 
kind of focused <laughs> on the, the Pathfinder stuff now. But so I mean, as I the creative director of the line should be. <laughs> yeah, I, I I put my mark in Starfinder by by putting Bernary and the Otter Folk. So like, I'm oh, happy if go. I never touch Starfinder <laughs> again. If they don't if they don't let me back in, that's totally fine. I've I've done I've done what I can. The important thing. All right. Well, then um, in that case, I'll hand the reins over to Jordan for our Q and A. Oh my gosh, y'all! Do we ever have some questions? So many questions. Okay. Uh, also, if you still have questions, feel free to put them in the chat. Um, we'll just get to those after the. We'll get to as many of them as we can. Very long list of questions we've got here. Let's okay. do it. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Satiri, and you're going to be hearing that name a lot because he asks a lot of questions. Uh, sure. Asks nice. Any chance we can get some prayers or hymns for the various gods included in the upcoming books? The latest raids in Final Fantasy XIV have had hymns to their gods as their in their final boss themes, and it's made me hungry for more in tabletop games. Hmm. Uh, nothing in the immediate, nothing that's been announced would, would have anything like that. But I think we could probably find slots for that in the future. Uh, I in the, would love... uh, in the God's Core book. Sure, God's Core. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, no, it'd be called Divine Core, obviously. Oh yeah, sorry, uh, yeah. or uh, Deity Core or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so no, I. I, I really like that idea, and I, I've enjoyed. Uh, if you checked out the Lost Omens books, you've seen in, in the organizations like Firebrands and, and Knights of Lastfall, and also will be showing up in, in High Helm. We add slang as one of the sidebars, right? What what do these people say? What do they? What language do they use? Just to like give you that role play uh, ammunition to you know, take advantage of. Oh, this is what my character would say in the setting, right? Uh, and I think having prayers and hymns, even if it's just a simple like two three line thing would probably add a lot to that there's i'm always looking for exciting ways to give people more role play options we add a lot of mechanical mm -hmm. options we add feats and, and magic items and spells but like role play options are also a thing that i just don't think people realize are stuff we're adding in 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 the same way that's why we did the travel guide right that entire book is all role play options mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, to and give you all the information book. you need so yes i think we can do it we just got to find the right spot uh divine core Obviously, is the book, you know, uh, Jordan already added me on, on that. We're doing D Divine Core 2025. Okay, fine. And, and, and we all know eventually Item Core will come out as well. Yeah. yeah. I look forward to the tie-in Adventure Path. For Item Core? Yes. <laughs> Give me all the Dragon Hordes. Yeah, it's it's the one where you play as different playable items, right? You're, you're a shoe. <laughs> We're all animated items. Yeah, exactly. You had poppets, but have you had... <laughs> A living know, candle. You went animated items. I immediately went for intelligent artifacts that just possess people. <laughs> oh my god! <gosh. laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! An all intelligent item party would be crazy. <laughs> or it's just half of the party. It's you have two player. You have two characters that are playing people, and then you know you have two people that are playing the character with special weapons. Okay, but is it fun. basically Battlestar Galactica at that point, and you're trying to figure out who the Cylons are? Yeah, uh, maybe. Because <laughs> that would be that'd be an interesting <laughs> twist. Is you have to try to figure out which person is the possessed ones. That's for the upcoming all doppelganger adventure path. <laughs> oh my gosh! Somebody said official mimic ancestry confirmed. I think Ross would die. <laughs> I think Ross would die. <laughs> Dude loves some mimics. Dude loves mimics. Anyway, that'd be funny I think, though. I uh, think Battle Zoo is doing a mimic ancestry, so you can at least look at that. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Plug for uh, Battle Zoo. Well, thank you, Satir. Uh, yes, uh, apparently it is uh, Satir. I apologize for mispronouncing that. And I'm hoping uh -huh. it's Satir, not Satir, mm. because Tyr and Terror look the same in English, because English is a messy language. Um, so uh, moving on, our next question from Daniel James Barry, UK, says, Luis, what's your favorite AP? How long have you been playing slash involved in Pathfinder? 
so let me tell you my little story about how I got into Pathfinder. I randomly saw uh, an image macro meme. You know, it's got the picture and then it's got the black border and white words beneath mm-hmm. it. Um, years ago, back in 2009 or so, and I haven't been able to find it since, so maybe it's just one of those like time traveler sent a thing back in time to make sure that the timeline stayed correct. Um, it was a picture of the cover art from book two of Rise of the Moon Lords, uh, the Foxglove Manor stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's got the ghouls with the like wrapped up dead body cl- climbing out of the well and it's Foxglove Manor in the background. And it's all mm. spooky. And it just, the caption was Foxglove Manor, the scariest night you'll ever have in D&D. And I thought, Sounds like a fun time. I want to have a scary night in D&D. <laughs> What's this Foxwood Manor? Eventually learn, oh, it's part of an adventure. Oh, it's part two. What's part one? Rise of the Moon Lords, Burn Offerings. Oh, this is cool. Check out that book. Start reading it. I like this adventure quite a bit. <laughs> Try to eventually convince my 4E group to play it. We tried a little bit. Uh, and I keep reading Pathfinder stuff. Eventually, the time comes that one of my other friends is like, oh, we should try out this Pathfinder game. It's a lot like 3.5 was. Okay, cool. And we get into that. Uh, and I haven't looked back since. Uh, we started with Legacy of Fire, uh, and we ran through that, and I've done, I think I did the count yesterday, uh, a couple of days ago. I've gotten through nine APs since then, uh, which when I first joined up with Paizo, I'm like, oh, surely everyone's done like four or five of these, and I learned I was like an outlier. Most people have gotten through like one, maybe. <laughs> uh, I've done a lot. They're too uh, busy think- writing them to play them. I don't know. I managed to pull it off. I'm still getting through <laughs> APs, right? Um, Luis over here casting shade on everyone else at Paizo. <laughs> <laughs> um, not dedicated enough to that Pathfinder brand. Um, the favorite one, I think, would end up for me at this point being Hell's Rebels. There's just something about it that really, really clicked for me. I liked it a lot. Um, I used to say Curse of the Crimson Throne, but I think Hell's Rebels pulls off the you're in the one city the entire time a little bit better. And, you know, there's just a lot of lessons that the team had learned by that point. They had done 96 other Adventure Path volumes or whatever. So it's just, it's, it's awesome. I don't know. I, I like Hell's Rebels a lot. And we've been I enjoying like, it. It's we, been yeah, a, we've it's had been a, a lot of fun support, playing Hell's Rebels. So I like Strength of Thousands a lot, too. Uh, Rain of Winter is pretty good, too. There's a lot of them. Rain of Winter is fun. If, I ran that. Rain yeah, of Winter is, have is really good. My number one is Hell's Rebels. It's funny that you mentioned that, uh, that being your entry into Pathfinder and everything else, because I, I still to this day hold uh, the second book of Rise of the Rune Lords to be my favorite single adventure path book. Mm. Um, yeah, that I book just, is fantastic. I love it so much. Yeah. I oh, like book five volumes. of that AP too. Book five of that AP <clears throat> is really cool too. I think single <laughs> volumes, it varies. Um, I really like the very first Serpent Skull. It's a great kickoff for any campaign. Mm. Uh, and it works while standalone as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say on that one. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of expecting book five of Tyrant's Grass to take that slot for me. But <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, know about that. Um, <laughs> some some hack who had never written any other adventure pass before had to do that one. So, <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of adventures over the years that I think could be my favorite, but that first one that comes to mind is is um, uh, the Serpent School number one. Mm. Cool. Uh, all right, next question. Joshy Neurotic asks, not a, well, I guess doesn't ask, not a question, more praise for Luis. Book five of Tyrant's Grasp, Chef's Kiss. Oh, great well, thank book, you. Party is just start, great book, Party is just starting it today. Ooh, oh, yeah. Oh, Have fun. Oh, oh man, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, probably going to be a really interesting one. Uh, no spoilers. 
please. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut. Ah, uh, it's sad. I've, I've been looking forward to it for years too. So I'm like, oh, can we get there yet? Mm. It's gonna be that, good. That reminds me of. Um, so I've done all these adventure path volumes, and I was always bummed that I'm like the last one or second to last one. And I got really excited to do Fist of the Ruby, Ruby Phoenix because I would be the first adventure, and if any podcast or uh, actual play were recording it, I'd finally get to listen to it right out of the gate instead of having to wait several years for them to reach out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe one day, find the path. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Next question. The Great Azodian asks, wait, is my Dragon Disciple going to go through an errata-based rebuild again? Well, if you want to play with the remaster version, probably. Um, so you don't stopping. have to. That's the thing with the re, with the remaster. Yeah. You don't have to upgrade to the remaster. Yeah, if you are playing campaign. right now with the Dragon Disciple, uh, the monsters from Monster Core will hit you the exact same way that they do from the best gear. Right, You'll, all the adventures still work pretty much the same. You you probably can even implement some of the remastered stuff pretty easily. We are adding uh, an extra use to the athletic skill, for example, where you can reposition people. Uh, don't need to go buy an entire rule book to learn how reposition works and make that work for for your game so if you don't want to you probably don't have to uh but if you want to play with the new toys that may come about you know you'll you'll want to take a peek at the very least check them out on archives and Nethys once they come out but that's not happening until july because dragon disciples not in core player core one it's player core two so you have plenty of time to uh play your dragon disciple have a TPK happen, have a new character, not even worry about your <laughs> Dragon Disciple anymore. You know, the, the old uh, the old chestnut, the TPK to get a new yeah. character. Um, yeah, no, I think we're doing the same thing. We're like, we're going to be updating Hell's Rebels um, player to player core one for those who, that apply Correct. to player core one. So like, we're going to have like half player core one, half, um, you know, 2E uh, playing through. And you even talked about how like it was a macro that you guys have kind of got for like find and replace for a lot of different, you know, things mm-hmm. for a lot of stat blocks and things like that. So it sounds like there's probably a fair amount of overlap to where it's not going to be like a huge, you know, oh crud. We It's either all, everybody goes to the remaster or nobody goes to the remaster. Yeah. So that we, sounds good. We want it to just be a speed bump in the road and nothing else. Not like that. That's the simplest, the easiest tri- way to transition over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I like the Pathfinder 2.1 uh, analogy there because it's you know it's just a slight variation uh what just i've been telling patch. people is um the remaster it we've been we've done four reprints right we've done four ways of errata or whatever for the core rule book um if we continued on that path and we got you know to printing seven or eight or whatever you might see the same amount of changes by that point it just happens to be we're doing a bunch of errata all in one go rather than incrementally every year or whatever um so if you can look at the the original printing of the core rulebook and look at edit now and there's a number of changes is that still pathfinder 2e i'd say that's the same amount of changes in some cases for for what you're looking at so yeah streamlined and, and minim, minimally obtrusive cool all right our next question comes from uh satiri have the old iconics retired or what have you or are they still out and about the we don't say retired. We say they graduated. They moved on, right? They, they, they moved <laughs> they, out they've of town. done the uh, the Pathfinder Society thing where they've they've gotten too high level. Yeah, because um, retire suggests that they can never come back. Uh, in a way, not, not. I mean, obviously, you know, bring me in from retirement for one last job kind of thing. But the graduation, <laughs> I think, suggests um, that they're still around and doing other stuff. They just have moved on to other things. Um, the way that 
what a very specific analogy, but uh, Steve left Blue's Clues and then Joe came in, but Steve would come back every once in a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, but the, the old Iconics <laughs> are still around. None of them have died off or you know, hit old age or anything like that. Some of them do come back, as you've seen with Yoon. She's come back and is now older, right? She's yeah. now, she's again our Iconic Kineticist, but she's mm-hmm. grown up a bit, which is just a fun thing we could do now that she's Also, Ezrin was already old. When Ezra was, first came out, so Ezra was already old, but apparently at the time that it was made, like uh, Eric Mona and James Jacobs and Bullman and Sutter and Wes, all those people who were involved with the creation of Pathfinder, like we'll make an, an iconic, and he'll be old. He'll be like forty-four. <laughs> and that's, yeah, I was going to say, that, ironically, I'm, I'm hurt by that. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that, that's what Ezra's age was at the having, time. Having just hit thirty-nine today, um, <laughs> I'm, you got to work on the white on hair, that. clearly, Rick. It's starting I, to come I, in, actually. I think, Very I think all that white hair probably came from all the studying he had to cram in to figure out how to be a wizard. It's, true, I mean, it's, like, all, the, it's all the stress of exams. Yeah, um, but I live yeah, such the, a carefree life. So even the older reading iconics all of these are still books. around. <laughs> Our older iconics are still around and sometimes show up. You saw the Cavalier archetype had Elaine uh, show up and um, Eric the Red Raven showed up mm. as our iconic uh, archetype for archetype iconic for the uh, vigilante. Yeah, uh, vigilante. So they show up here and there. Um, I think um, what's it's just, they, they, they will keep showing up where it makes sense sometimes in archetypes, sometimes as proper iconics and get uh, you know a little uh spruced up for 2e things like that but the they're all still around and sometimes you'll meet new people as time goes on nice all right uh follow-up question not really but it's from the same it's also from satiri mm-hmm. any chance we could have a pronunciation guide for monsters and npcs i have a friend who is struggling through mwangi names in particular oh my gosh um uh, i would love that it just where is the space for that, right? <laughs> if we have you know, like the, the, those critical three words, you know, are going to be a lot of space for everything. Well, when yeah. you add them up, um, they they take up. Um, if you looked at the three point five Pathfinder campaign setting guide, the Pathfinder Chronicles campaign setting guide, it ended with about two pages of pronunciations. Yeah. Um, in the appendix, and those are two pages that we could have used elsewhere, right? And there there are probably ways to sneak in that, and I think it's just a matter of making sure we commit to it but i would like to do that i know tian sha is going a little bit out of its way to make sure we explain the pronunciation on things so if people like that and that isn't you know too disruptive to our whole thing um i know tyrant's grasp five has a couple of pronunciation suggestions uh, <laughs> i'll, I'll have you send there. me a list Luis. <laughs> no they're in there <laughs> oh great in the oh adventure. that's great i, I stuck great. In. Thank you. um i'm very bad uh, at pronunciation so i appreciate so that. Uh, I think we can find a way to do it. It's just a matter of committing to it and then and making sure that the entire team goes forward with, with that kind of stuff when it makes sense, right? Like, I don't think we need to tell you everything's pronounced, but there are probably some cases that, like, this is a weird name. Maybe we should give it a, a little parentheses. Here's how you say it. Yeah, um, I, I, I remember <laughs> I was at a panel once with James Jacobs, and he said the best way to pronounce something is the way that your players won't laugh at you for saying it. I was, I was yeah. about to bring that up because... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Heather was there. Uh, Luis was on that panel, actually. Um, and Heather was asking some question of, uh, of Luis or James uh, about uh, uh, Nidal. And, uh, oh, and yeah, then somebody, somebody was like, it's Nidal. Was like, it's like, well, it's actually it's pronounced Nidal. And I think it was James Jacob said it's pronounced whatever your friends don't make fun of you for saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. They're also all made up fantasy words. So just call them whatever the heck you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent oh, question, man. though. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great uh, suggestion. Also, as somebody who has struggled with pronunciations, um, 
I'm not very good at pronouncing foreign things. We, you guys have seen us in the, in like the after all of our episodes where we're trying to say people's names and we can't even say the most basic names. So it's a challenge. Rachel tends to be good at it. That's good. Rachel, very good at it. It's the phonics. She's good at phonics. <laughs> um, all right. Our next question comes from Leaf Shadow 30. Luis, what is the kitty's name? Uh, my cat's name is Nova. Oh, my dog's name is Nova. Oh, look at that. Hey, (laughs) she's cute and uh, a troublemaker and kind of a turd, but I love her. (laughs) That describes my dog very well, too. Every cat I've ever met. (laughs) Also, yeah, every cat ever. I fortunately have one that most of the time just stays there and sleeps the entire time. Yeah. I occasionally post pictures of her online on my Twitter and stuff. So maybe I'll post some today so people can see more Nova. Oh, nice. We'll see if we can get a screen capture from this and we'll uh, we'll post it up for you. <laughs> yes. And just in case Rick edited it out, there was a cat all over that mic. <laughs> Several times during this. Uh, maybe careful editing has removed it, but there was most mm, definitely a cat. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. Oh, goodness. All right. Speaking of names that are possibly hard to pronounce, hopefully I don't butcher this. Our next question comes from Matthew Jalu- Jalukia? Jalu- Jaluka? Who, who Jaluka. asks... Jalu- I don't know. Oh, is it? Is that a wire? It's, a J-A, it's probably a yeah, but I don't know. Okay, uh, Matthew, Matthew Jalufka Question. asks: Matthew. Yeah. Uh, Will GM Core also have the alternate rule systems from the Game Mastery Guide? If so, are there are those getting any modifications? Uh, I think I talked about that a bit ago. Actually, uh, I think yeah. that's when I mentioned that Matthew asked the question. Yeah. Oh. Um, anyway. But yeah, the, the most of the the variant systems from the Game Mastery Guide are showing up. Not all of them made the cut. Some of them. We liked, but aren't as useful broadly in some cases. So uh, we also need to get back some space to make up for the fact that we're cramming in all the magic items. But for the most part, they're yeah. all there. And then when when we know that there are difficulties with the system or, or tweaks that are needed, we, we've made those changes as well. Awesome. Uh, another question about things that are changing from Lockfin with spell schools leaving. Will the mm. rules for creating custom staves be changing? It becomes very difficult to find enough spells that all share a trait without spell schools. Um, we'll have to wait and see. So those rules are in Secrets of Magic, which is a book that is further out to think about in terms of what changes are going to be implemented. Uh, that book opens with a, a lot of insetting essays and material talking about spell schools and stuff, which is going to be, it's more than just like, oh, we can errata these things and then it's done. No, we kind of have to, would have to rewrite big swaths of that book. Yeah. I think what you can do is just focus on the thematics. Um, a lot of the suggestions are like, oh, grab all illusions, right? Or all prediction spells or all teleportation spells or whatever. And you can still figure out what those spells are by just knowing what the spells do rather than requiring a trait to tell you that. It's a little bit more work, but I think you can just kind of follow the general guidance and still make that work. Uh, and and then you can also follow some of the guidance that's going to be put in place by the spell schools that are showing up in the wizard class, right? If you look at the battle magic oh, hey, these are all kind of battle magic focus related. These could probably become their own staff, right? You can kind of grab those ideas and work from there. Awesome. Cool. Something I've not played around with is making a custom staff, so that would be cool. Uh, all right, <laughs> next question comes from Caffeine Now. Something I've been thinking about in regards to removing alignments, and forgive me if this <laughs> is addressed elsewhere, any insight into how that will impact the rules for Harrow readings and Harrow decks? <sighs> okay, that's the one we haven't figured out yet. So Harrow's... <laughs> so the fans on... hitting with the hardest question. <laughs> no, yeah, it's been asked around a, a couple of times. So the Harrow is based on six different attributes uh, and the nine 
alignment. So you get 54 cards. Works out really well. Uh, I don't know if we have anything in mind at the moment, but luckily Stolen Fate is coming out while we're still in OGL mode. So yeah. it works out just fine. But someone wanting to use it under the remaster rules would probably have to kind of clutch something together. Um, I well, think... I kind of wonder if, um, I mean, it still kind of touches on the alignment thing, but, you know, really the the houses and all the rest of that stuff you're already getting into, like, you know, they're the nine houses or whatever it is that they go into, or the nine, um, um, well, the suits or the ability scores. But yeah, I feel like it's it's kind of vague enough that, yeah. Yeah, it, it could work. The thing is the hero reading cares about if your alignment matches stuff that oh, that's true. matches oh, with the Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And that, that's where it runs into trouble. If it wasn't for that, I think you can maybe kind of figure that out. Um, and I think what you'll have to do is, based on a character's personalities and actions, edicts and anathema and stuff, kind of just figure out what fits most. Are they more <laughs> lawful? Are they more chaotic? Are they more good? Are they more evil? Uh, and just kind of get a vague sense of what would be most appropriate. Oh, this character feels most like neutral good right but yeah for now we don't have any updates on that because we haven't even gotten our, our newest printing of the hero deck out let alone figured out how to update the rules for for the remaster yeah awesome okay next up uh next couple of these are from satiri lots of good questions from satiri any chance that we'll get two e versions of starfinder ancestries like an updated version of people of the stars uh it's something we've talked about uh i think a distant uh Distant Worlds 2E would be a kind of a fun thing. There's some complications that come with that, right? You can make a Lashunta pretty easily. You can make mm. Shirin pretty easily. Uh, making a Kasatha or a Skittermander who have multiple arms and thus can hold multiple things is a lot more complicated. Um, so <laughs> I think there's a chance that we could do that uh, in the future. Just obviously nothing on the horizon that we've already announced suggests that something like that would work. But I, I think there are ways to bring those over to uh, 2E and make them work for the most part uh you just miss out on laser pistols and plasma swords uh, and power yeah, armor I, my personal starfinder favorite yeah. thing is power so, armor <laughs> it could work it just um finding a good spot for for something like that is all it really takes cool all right next awesome. question uh for both luis and find the path what Ooh. sort of adventures do you like in ap's like political intrigue mega dungeon planar travel etc i like it all <laughs> I'm I'm not super picky in that you can find good characterization and good adventures we're kind of regardless of what you're doing. So I I've we've done um, War for the Crown that has starts out with like a lot of political intrigue stuff. Um, we've done entire books that were dungeons and things like that and had a blast at all of them. I'll let Luis go first because I've got somewhat of a longer answer to this, but I'll make it fast. Uh, the thing I like most <laughs> and what I like writing most is sandboxes. Right, I like putting forth. A location giving the gm or having all the details about like guard patrols and mm -hmm. here's what happens in this room and then just letting the organic play happen right a dungeon is in a lot of cases linear um in, in how it's designed but a sandbox is really fun because you get to kind of do that free flow do that improvisation that comes with it and that's really fun for me so Anything that with a with a really cool sandbox, which is probably why I like that Serpent Skull number one. That's an enormous sandbox. You're just on a huge island. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's it's great with me. Yeah, um, I mean, you you just articulated my own thoughts as far as um, home games are concerned. Uh, as mm -hmm. far as the podcast stuff is concerned, I actually have us kind of avoid sandboxes. I found that we are very bad at sandboxes for a recording because the recordings go on 
very, very long. I'm um, sorry about Giant Scratch number five. <laughs> <laughs> I I have plans to keep these people uh, uh, focused. The, I was the problem say, is, in, is that in Hell's Rebels, we would go on a tangent forever it, if it given has the been chance. A, it has been a reoccurring problem sometimes in Hell's Rebels just because um, um, we I have an entire group of people that love to plan. And yeah. so it's a lot of like the sandbox thing has cropped up and now we need to spend 25 minutes discussing the pros <laughs> and cons of doing and doing this thing. Things that um, hit the editing room floor, by the way, are the 30 minute conversations about what we have, should do next. <laughs> have now, you ever played Blades in the Dark? Sort of. I've played a demo of it. Blades in the Dark has uh, a system where you go and do the job, or the heist yeah. or whatever. And in media you don't res, plan in yeah. advance. You can at any point kind of cash in a resource. And retroactively do the thing where mm-hmm. in a heist movie, they show you how they had already set that up. Yeah. So when you encounter a problem, instead of hoping that you have planned for it, you can just retroactively be like, oh, cool. I had, <laughs> you know, the the perfect lockpick or whatever, or I had, you know, bribed the guard yeah. already in advance. So yeah, maybe the guards would... come around the corner with a dog and you're just like, having known that there's dogs here, I pull a steak out of my bag. Yeah. Throw it so I think yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to to speed things up, maybe you could give everyone like two or three like you know uh, flashback points to cash in and be like, oh, yeah. I had this ready, and then they still have to pay the appropriate resource, right? They have to pay the two copper to buy the steak or whatever, but uh, that might speed things up a little bit because then they they don't have to plan in advance; they can kind of go with it out on the fly. Yeah, because yeah, that flashback well, system was like the most like exciting thing for me for wanting to play Blades in the Dark was like the mm-hmm. idea of oh man. I don't have to really plan everything, but I can use these points because I, I'm not as big a planner, I think, as uh, as everybody else is. So, like, I'm just kind of like, oh, wing it. you know, I'll, fi- I'll figure it out. But I, sometimes I, pl- I will plan stuff. But I like the idea of just being like, man, I really wish I had a scroll of blank. Oh, wait, I do. You know, yeah, yeah. I think there's an entire, uh, you know, Pathfinder. Literally, I, th- I think the Pathfinder um, build is built entirely around that like aha I've got this thing there's a feat in second edition that lets you do a very similar thing where it's just I like I pull a thing out of my bag yeah so basically like I, I love um, sandboxes but unfortunately for the podcast uh, we always kind of it's more on the editing side it, the, hmm. the audience doesn't hear it it's just like you guys record for two hours why is this episode only an hour and five minutes long and it's like because there was a lot of discussion about whether or not they should go over there and talk yep. to this guy or or it if given the chance, we will also go down the NPC route where, where Rick gives us a throwaway NPC and that's our new best friend and we have to help them yeah. with every single thing in that's, their entire that's life. That's every game master has to do with that one. <laughs> yeah, Louis I feel like we're especially like, oh, bad God. about it though too because like literally like I, I think in, in uh, Mummy's Mask there was uh, I think it was a, a, a kind of a just NPC that you put in in one of the uh, one of the books and we were just like, we have to know this entire character's backstory and we have to help them out and like get them out, you know, lift them out of poverty and save everything. Neef, I believe. Yes, it was definitely Neef. Yes, that was what I was referencing. But Neef, yeah, the best. Uh, and as far as the podcast is concerned, I absolutely love any adventure path that has a lot of uh, tyrant's grass, for instance, that has a lot of like big dramatic moments that uh, that everyone gets to go through. And uh, tyrant's grass is also great for letting me leave everything on a, everyone might be dying in the next episode cliffhanger all of the time. I was going to say that's, so. that's, that's, that's <laughs> it's, it's the weird thing where it's actually true. It's not just like we're building this up for like, you know, suspense purposes. It's like, no, we could literally die next round or next yeah. episode. It's basically every episode. <laughs> but great question. Yes. Um, OK, uh, next one. Uh, Rick, are you a fan of Discworld Dwarves? I've only recently started getting into Terry Pratchett's works. Um, 
I'm a big fan of a lot of the stuff that's written around, you know, around that area, around that time period, um, obviously. Um, actually, you know, uh, Justin Jordan got this for me for my birthday. It's a new horror collection for me to go through. Held that up for the camera there. But uh, I'm unfortunately, I'm only recently getting into this. Um, that is much more of a Ross. I know Ross is a Ross big Pratchett loves fan. Pratchett. Yep. Um, I've never actually read a single Terry Pratchett thing. I'm embarrassed to say I've never read any of his stuff. I need to badly. <laughs> I hear good things. Uh, okay, next question. Uh, will we get a book focused on the southern part of Garund? As somebody who has played everybody's favorite catfolk, Sudi Kantar, I'm also curious about this. Someday. <laughs> Perfect. That's there it. We go. Like, it just takes a while <laughs> to get to, to these kind of things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so thank you, Satiri, for all of those questions. Uh, next up, Descriptivist asks, is this too specific a question to ask if you're able to give any word on whether player core might revise adopted ancestry to clarify whether I can be adopted by uncommon ancestries or by heritages such as half works or by a family of genie kin. Let me look at it. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, he's looking at it. He's looking at it right now. He's got the book. <laughs> he has it. That he is, says that, all by the, way, the secrets. The, the funniest part of, of playtesting second edition at PaizoCon, I think when it was announced, was seeing that there was a rule book printed out on paper and not being allowed to see it. We were just like, oh, <laughs> what's in there? It's right there. But while you're looking through that, I uh, do want to, of course, uh, you know, take a second to... Uh, Thank everyone for uh, for joining us today, and of course, uh, remind everyone that you can join us on uh, our uh, our live after parties, which is going to be every Saturday. Um, and the next one will, of course, be in July. So, uh, if you're uh, you're a little bored with your July Fourth uh, weekend coming up and all the rest of that stuff, July first will be our next after party. So check us out there. I'm really so, glad it was not July Fourth. Nobody would show up. No. <laughs> <laughs> So adopted ancestry said, uh, choose a common ancestry. You can select ancestry feats, blah, 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 blah. The remastered one says, choose a common ancestry or yeah. another ancestry to which you have access. Oh, okay. Oh, so, okay. So that does open the door for uncommon adoptions uh, as well. So it's, congratulations, Jordan. If uh, if Lucia should die in Hell's Rebels, you can play a halfling that was adopted by Tengu. Because I had to give you access GM to Tengu. It. That's right. true. Yeah, I have access to Tengu, so take that. I specifically gave them access to Tengu also because that crops up so much in Hell's well, Rebels. I was going to yeah. say, we have like one of our groups is literally a group of Tengu. So That's like, true. One of our operative groups. Uh, uh, the Fushi Sisters. Yep. Love the Fushi Sisters. Um, last question. Make sure that was an eye. Uh, so our last question comes from Katrin. Katrin? Katrin. Luis, given your affinity for writing late AP books, are there certain elements of a mid to late <laughs> story arc that are really compelling to you? R- rising narrative stakes, increasing danger, the ability to more actively utilize the major antagonist? A uh, number of things. One, having access to so many more monsters. Uh, <laughs> I remember writing uh, Ruby Phoenix, right? This first adventure starts you at 11th level, and I was so happy that, like, oh, I can use so many things now. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> the range of uh, plus yeah, or minus. Uh, like honestly, three yeah, or monsters are in a pyramid of like, yeah. there's a lot of lower level monsters and it gets like fewer and fewer as you go to the top. Uh, the, the other particular challenge is with really high level plays. Like if you have an NPC like, oh, you come to a city, you got to fight city guards. Like you got to explain why these city guards are level 18 and not, you know, going around <laughs> saving the world. Right? Because and they're in easy. high helm and there's an impending threat. It's easy in some <laughs> cases for like, oh, these are the elite guards made out of the king's, you know, perfect bodyguards or whatever but like it's hard in some cases um the another thing is i think there's a chance for more player guidance secret invisible hand kind of player guidance uh one of my favorite adventures of all time is 
the very first adventure of Age of Worms, uh, The Whispering Cairn, uh, mm-hmm. which is a dungeon crawl. But yeah. the way it's the encounters are laid out, it starts you off very easily and is slowly like introducing you to different game mechanics from the uh, D&D 3.5 rules. So I think one of the first encounters you have is like just a, a fight, and then the next encounter is some wolves, and the wolves mm-hmm. have the ability to trip. So you've done a fight, now let's complicate things by adding tripping and, and being knock prone and stuff. And as you progress, encounters add more complications. There's a swarm, there's elementals who can't be crit in that uh, rule set and stuff. So there's constantly adding things so as to not overwhelm people, but teach you new things as you're going on. And if this is the first adventure you've ever played, you get to learn the game as it's go- going on. Uh, and I think doing stuff like that to uh, show off aspects of the rule set right, are really important uh, and teach people stuff. We don't expect everyone to use every single rule in every adventure path, but having that ability, right? If Abomination Vaults is the first adventure for a lot of people, there's opportunities to to teach the game that way. Uh, So I I like to see that. And interesting dungeon design is a lot easier to do at lower levels when players can't just skip stuff. Um, yeah, I, the I old high-level f- places are immune to teleportation and are immune yeah. to divination. Yeah, we make that joke very, <laughs> very often. Where it's just like, why? Well, wow, apparently everyone once you reach the book sixes uh, has their dungeons dimensionally anchored and warned. Yeah. Um, when well, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Zelda series, and they have amazing dungeons. So getting mm-hmm. to make dungeons that are complicated puzzles in and of themselves is is really interesting to me. I try to do that with Strength of Thousands number four. But doing that at lower levels would be uh, a lot easier and, and pretty fun. So there are opportunities there, I think, uh, to to just do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, but high level has the opportunity to really highlight the cool stuff that players can be doing at that point, right? Finding a great spot for the rogue to really go nuts, one for you know the wizard to do cool stuff, one for the cleric to do cool stuff it is really fun too. So there's there's a, a give and take with what you're getting at, at a different level of play. Yeah, I'm actually really glad that you reminded me about the uh, the first it, the first dungeon from uh, Age of Worms because it is one of the hands down best dungeons, um, and it has kind of that Metroidvania thing, where yeah. as you're progressing and you're getting new things, you can then go back to previous areas and then uh, explore f- further, which is always something uh, I very much enjoy. Yeah, again, touching on like the old school Zeldas, mm-hmm. as much as the the sandbox of the modern Zeldas is fun. The uh, the extraordinarily well-designed dungeons. Um, yeah, actually, the Jedi uh, uh, Fallen Order and uh, you know the new Jedi Survivor are very much like that. Yeah, the they, they have Metroid some of those Vania. elements in them. Unlock an ability, go back to a previous area. But great question, though, and fun little insight into uh, into Luis's uh, love of uh, of mid to high level play, even if he's not forced to do it. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, that basically that gets us here to the end. So. Um, uh, first off, we do want to take an opportunity to, of course, thank Luis for uh, for joining us for uh, yeah. for sharing his uh, his wide breadth of uh, of knowledge, um, as well so as his, uh, his secret access to all the uh, the deep down secrets of uh, Paizo's upcoming publishing schedules, and to get him to actually <laughs> read straight out of the uh, the new remastered book. I know. Success. <laughs> Somebody had an answer to their to, to their extraordinarily specific question, uh, yep. which is always fun. And yeah, Luis, uh, is there anything before uh, before we finish this up? Is there anything that you want to bring people's attention to or uh, things that you're working on that you're very excited for? Um, uh, obviously, High Helm, but... High Helm, for sure. <laughs> uh, Stolen Fate, number three. Mm. Um, go buy Lost Omen's Travel Guide. I want to do another one. And if these sell out, I can maybe do a second one. I could convince people to do. I love that book. Funny enough, uh, 
Yeah, well, actually, we'll do, we'll do a little teaser here, but that does tie back into uh, to the Lost Omens travel guide. We are considering doing a little spinoff, um, not a regular series, but an occasional spinoff series, which is tentatively named Find the Craft, that uh, I believe uh, Rachel, Jessica, and a friend of the pod, uh, Kristen, who's done a number of our uh, pins and artwork and all the rest of that, if you like our t-shirt design, she does a number of those uh, we're talking about doing. And I was saying that I would honestly love to set up a camera in our kitchen and go through a couple of the recipes from the uh, the travel guide. Um, so do uh, mm. do some real-time recipes for everyone. So if you're interested in a Find the Path uh, cooking show, go out and support the uh, the travel guide because it has yeah. some great recipes in there. I've seen, I've seen other people uh, cook them, so it's Fantastic. pretty exciting. Uh, like anything I'm on like, no YouTube one... stuff or – yeah, I, I, I randomly seen them on youtube here and there but i'm glad oh, no one got food poisoning <laughs> so they are real recipes is what i'm hearing yes yeah and we have play tested some of our recipes before i, I love that somebody oh, yes. uh, eagle king has suggested dine the path oh dine the path that one's pretty that's good the, that's the after the find the craft we dine the path <laughs> <laughs> yeah because actually in the uh, the very first um adventure path book uh, book one of uh with uh, burnt offerings mm-hmm. um there was a re- there was a recipe in there for like a uh, uh, verician something or another it looked really spicy it sounded yeah. good mm, that's what i'm here for so yeah and again uh thank you uh thank you Luis, for coming on here thank you for everyone that joined us today uh do want to give of course, a, a special thanks to all of our patrons for uh for making it possible for us to uh to find more time and do more things like this uh making it possible for us to go weekly with our tyrant's grasp and get a little bit closer that much faster uh to uh to running through book five um I'm going to have to hit up Luis for all the cut content or anything else the editors had to remove for space and see if there's a... <laughs> I see his eyes darting around like, what's their cut content? Path, Pathfinder mm. Extended Edition. <laughs> yes, the the special extended edition of Book 5. Mm. And yeah, I guess uh, until next time, good luck, Pathfinders. Bye, Pathfolk. Bye, everybody. Did it. Yep, did it. <laughs>